Okay, it's Friday 29th of May. Welcome to the Aridi podcast. So this is where we get to know our members a little bit better. Um, and today we have our owner, head honcho, Mr. Aridi, Richard Spanos. Hello. How are you, Rich? Not too bad. How are you? <laughs> yeah, really good. Thank you. Um, finally, we get to sit down and do this. We've been trying to do this for, for quite a while, haven't we? Not before time. <laughs> I've been avoiding it for months and months and months. Uh, I think um, when, when you've got a business and you've got a family and you're working full time and you know you, every time you sit down to do it, there's always another, there's always a priority. And Absolutely. So thanks for doing this. Pleasure. And, and, um, I think this will be a great opportunity for a lot of our members and, and the greater community to get to know you a little bit better. Um, how 2020 has definitely been an interesting year. It has been. Can you remember a time where it's been this uncertain and chaotic? And Yeah, not really. I think the, the good part about 2020 is the uncertainty has given more certainty. It's really about uh, what you value. I think it's been a wonderful experience. Yeah. It's been tough. Yes, it's been uncertain, but it's, it's certainly made you think about what you really need, what you are, and what you do. Mm. Which 100%. I, yeah, I've, I've just found it a great time. What I wish it would stay <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. Just to give you that space of thought and and moments in time yeah i think what can you give us a brief i mean we might go into a little bit deeper later but the 23rd of march when we had the close what was your feelings at that time i don't know it 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 probably was a shock the the immediacy of it and like you know finding out friday and sunday was it yeah and yeah it was i i it was really adjusting to the, the flow of it. Mm. It was my immediate thoughts is what do we need to do for everybody, you know, especially our members of how can we service them and help them. Yeah. But then, you know, our team, you know, what can we do? Can we survive? Yes. That was, I, I suppose, the instinct that immediately cut in was how do we get through this? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it was survival mode, I suppose, the the instinct, mm. the, the what what I felt into that, yeah, mm. and then you go through the process of thinking, the process that we did approach, and not being reactive and really taking our time to think through it was certainly a a, a benefit to everybody. Yes, I, I definitely felt myself that when we were able to just take our time and um, absorb the changes and the uncertainty. It, it definitely gave me a little less anxiety of rather than uh, you know an, an announcement would would come out and then we would react and then you'd have to re-react again two days later to change it again and then it would change again and so definitely by pulling back a little bit gave us a little bit more less anxiety and more um, gave us more certainty of what to do. Yeah, I I probably felt uh, I don't know a calmness for some reason. Yeah, I don't know whether that was. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about it, mm. but going through that process certainly helped. But it was a yeah, it was a bit of a surreal calmness. Like you're seeing the world 
react and it was getting through you know what was real was what wasn't true what was panic yes uh, but you know it probably saw a pretty clear path yeah. in all of that which yeah you know, was a was a really strange feeling yeah when when you look back and now at it we we like you said we spoke a lot about it so we we were probably prepared for it yeah 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 i it, you know into all the previous week's conversation of where it was going to go uh, and and it wasn't necessarily related around coronavirus mm. it probably brought a lot of decisions for us forward yes and yes. and it probably it wasn't okay we've closed the doors but it wasn't that decision to mm. me yeah is there anything that you look at your life and you think okay prior to COVID-19 and all of this that's happened is there anything that you've changed in your life whether it be physical or whether you know how you f see the world or how you view your time through corona yeah, yeah is there anything that's changed in your life that you're going to go that's different that you're going to um adopt now as the new norm for you live the moment yeah I, I, it's as simple as that because at a flick of a switch you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow stop looking at what did happen in the past and live now yes <laughs> that, that's really that's that's not only physical mental spiritually mm. and and i think that feeds your soul absolutely and that just brings so much calmness to to me as an individual mm. and that spreads 100 percent. you know it really comes down to probably one of my favorite sayings is you know you attract the energy that you put out there and when you when you have that uh i, I suppose process and live the now what a wonderful place <laughs> definitely yeah and uh, that gives you a certain peace as well yeah if you're constantly worrying about the past that just comes with anxiety and a whole heap of other insecurities but if you live in the now and that's a peace yeah it doesn't get rid of the anxiety mm. it doesn't get rid of the stress about you know how we survive as as a ready and what we do in the future but what it does do and what does take over is appreciating you know every moment definitely um the smell the air mm. the people that you interact with you have a different conversation with everybody every time yes yeah and probably you change it from telling just to listen mm. which makes a world of difference definitely can i start by taking you all the way back where did you grow up? What's the, the young Richard Spanos life like? Fantastic. It's a long time ago now. <laughs> we'll have to wind back to... This might uh, be a, a three-part series. <laughs> this will take a long time. That's, that's all right. We've got, we've got plenty of time. We've got 56 years, nearly 57... Oh, no, 57 years to cover. So Yeah. Way back, born in the um, Riverland or Berry in South Australia... I was actually born on the day JFK um, was assassinated. Really? So, 23rd of November, 1963, or oh, it's now the 22nd of November, but in that time, because we were ahead from a US point of view. 
so yeah so all the stories i got was yeah my birth was really irrelevant at that time because of that that moment in history so wow i was um i did come early i was about uh, four four and a half weeks early okay so i was all of i think about three kilos if that so 2.8 kilos or something yeah at that time so yeah a premier baby yeah grew up in the riverland so um did you have any complications as a young kid from that um yeah had a few um heart issues yeah i was jaundice had a lot of um um i suppose blood and development mental issues early um so yeah that comes off and i still have a bit of a wavery heart every now and then so well the way you get on that assault bike you wouldn't know you're a beast on that so i might curl up one day and you'll know the reason why so yeah okay that's interesting yeah Yeah. so yeah um we were as a family and fruit growers had properties so it was a really i suppose close-knit family unit so first 15 years of my life went to oh well from berry primary school to Glossop High School and then our family moved from Berry up and up to the Sunraysia into Mildura. So spent about four years there, four and a half years there. Then my career, I suppose, took me away from my family and yeah, went to Melbourne, ended up in Sydney and here we are thirty years later. Wow. Brothers and sisters? Two brothers. Yeah. Two older brothers. So, yeah, um, six and seven years apart. My oldest brother is seven years older. Seven years older. Uh, next brother's six years older. So then I was a sort of last-ditched dis- effort for another one or wanted to be a girl or mum and dad wanted a girl. Mm-hmm. So then I came along, yeah, six years later. Yeah, okay. So growing up, that was interesting. I, I suppose, you know, that separation in age as you were young was really difficult. Yeah. Um, always probably ran to mum for protection from my two older brothers. They gave me a pretty tough time, but that was, that was, yeah, that was part of it, part of growing up. And then once you got into your teenage years, you probably got closer and that gap diminished after that, but mm. had a fantastic time. Yeah. Can you, are there any stories of the things they used to do to you? Oh, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's hundreds. Is there one that really sticks out in your mind? That, oh, I, I probably come to death or close to death many a times. Like I was there, billy cart driver. Yep. So it was all about speed and fastest because I was the youngest and lightest. You were expendable. <laughs> I was expendable, but strapped me in and and um yeah push me as fast as you could downhill and it was hanging on for dear life so yes I, I suppose the most memorable one is yeah we used to have a long driveway and it used to go out into oh well a main road so it was myself and uh, my two brothers versus the cousins so two of them or three of them as well so we always used to set up obstacle courses or um billy cart races so one day it was i don't know middle of summer hot as um driving pushing down the driveway downhill uh coming along the driveway my one of my front wheels fell off (laughs) 
my cousin saw an opportunity to beat us because they could hardly ever beat us. Yeah. So I'd crash into a into the side or bush or tree. My cousin goes flying out onto the road, and as as um, as he's gone out onto the road, a car comes past. <laughs> and cleans him up oh you're joking or ran over the front of the wheels but anyway so he's then turned around screaming and yelling running back down the driveway peed his pants so that hung on to him for the rest of his (laughs) life (laughs) that was probably one of the most memorable ones yeah yeah he's Uh, lucky he didn't be hit oh absolutely wow just luck yeah Yeah. isn't amazing because i grew up with two brothers as well how close you come you push the boundaries oh, when there's the three boys absolutely. together. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, a, a beehive story, I don't know, because we were on fruit body, it had a lot of beehives and that. One day, um, oh, well, it was lunchtime, so I was going to look for Doug and Trev, and they were down throwing rocks at the beehives. So I'd come through the vines and... How stick, smart. <laughs> smart. Stick my head through to say lunch is ready and obviously they've just knocked down a beehive so the the hive's starting to swarm and they target me. Oh, jeez. So they, I'd go screaming home, bees buzzing around my head. I think I ended up with about 40 or 50 bee stings. <laughs> But to the story of that is, Dad was allergic to bees. Oh. So he, so Dad was actually away at the time and we lived, I don't know, four or five k's out of town. So it was the first time I'd been stung by bees. So everyone's starting to panic, thinking mm. if I'm allergic, I'm dead. You've had 40 of them. I've had 40 of them. So yeah. Um, wow. Mum, Doug, Trev, off, oh, Mum, didn't drive so he had to carry me down to the doctors or to the hospital so it was about a five six k carry <laughs> jeez it actually so lucky you weren't absolutely allergic to them because yeah you know that happens very quickly and yeah. developed in anaphylaxis and so i had had a ho- i mean i could hardly breathe because i had a whole heap of bee stings in my mouth couldn't swallow but jesus so they're probably the two closest. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And there's the sliding scale after that. Yeah, there's yeah. Lots more. Did you have to work a lot on the farm when you yeah. were, when you were a, a young one? Um, we had a lot of stone fruits. Yep. So our process was um, cutting apricots. We used to um, work pretty solidly on the property, but that was just part of it. So. Mm. It was a good relief to get out of school because you could always remember sort of first apricots to cut and and dry and yeah so mm. yeah it used to work a lot winter used to be a pain because you used to have to or oh, from the pruning you used to have to pile all the sticks up in the middle of the of the rows so that wasn't a very good job mm. and then progressed you know to picking oranges and vegetables and Probably the toughest of all jobs was always picking watermelons. As you can mm. imagine, we had about 20 acres of watermelons and all that in those days. It was all hand load, so you used to do semi-trailers full to send them off to Melbourne markets. But yeah, it used to get pretty tiring. Yeah, I bet. 
Yeah, building those guns <laughs> up with a pick yeah, of watermelons up. all day. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... Um, I, I think... Is there anything that you look back on now that you think, yeah, that's a, a resilience in you or a character trait that you developed from the farm, working, going to school, coming home, working on the farm? Probably just that, the work ethic. Yeah. And to, and to support and do whatever you needed to get it done. I mean, yeah. Um, our payment was May school holidays. We used to go down to Glenelg in Adelaide and have a place on the beach, and sort of mum and dad would buy us anything we wanted. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you didn't get any pocket money or pay oh, any yeah. other time? Or? Yeah, you stupid. I, I suppose you didn't think of it that way. Yeah. I mean, of how we grew up, it was never about the money. Yeah. I mean, we got everything that we wanted from a family point of view because that was your unit. Yes. So um, it wasn't about work, it's just what you had to contribute to support the family. Yeah, from my point of view, the entire time I've known you, I can see when you talk about that, the character traits that you bring to, you know, when we're at the uni and then now with the Reedy, because you speak a lot about us being a team and a family and the the community of a Reedy being a family and, you know, just getting in and um, helping each other and nothing's ever a problem. And yeah, yeah, I mean, we've faced some problems, you know, in our time that we've worked together and, but it's, it's always, well, you know, we figure it out as a team and we, we just do get it done. Yeah. And I, I suppose that's a really simple philosophy. Yeah. Uh, my first, those 15 years of my life, that's all I knew. Yeah. It was, you know, uh, um, our, our dad's two brothers and his families were so intertwined. You know, it was whatever you need to do. You used to go from one property to the other. You know, weekends was about having a good time and family barbecues or food and around a kitchen table and just celebrate what what needed to be done or and so yeah that's that has stayed with me forever yeah i think you're you still entertain around food and <laughs> groups there yes yeah there's been some yes that's a that's a premise of uh, there's nothing better than just having and feeding feeding a group of people. Just pull that back a bit if you want. Yeah, just feeding a group of people. Yeah. And, you know, drinking makes the food taste better. Yeah, red <laughs> or white wine. Or anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, it's ends up, most nights ends up with um, a combination of everything. Yeah. What was school like for you? Yeah, um... Yeah, great. I, I suppose it, it, and I'll say again, for the first 15 years, it was, I, you know, went to Berry Primary, went through with the great same group of people, went to Glossop High School, and it probably changed in year 10. So when I was 15, you were in this, I don't know, unreal bubble. My life was grand. It was fantastic. I got everything I wanted, needed, friends you know, family, that was it. So I was reasonably successful at school, I suppose, up until probably that point when we moved at 15. And yeah, it was was great. Yeah. 
What um, what changed at 15? Um, we moved to Mildura. Mm. Um, there was a, uh, we moved to a bigger property up in uh, Sunraysia. It was only an hour away from um, uh, from the Riverland or Barry where, where I grew up. But that was the reason we moved. I mean, there was a whole combination of things, I suppose. I, I, again, I was a reasonably late maturer, I suppose, just coming into my own. Uh, I looked up to my brothers, you know, as icons, that mm. still do in most ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, father, mum, you know, your family, your uncles, all the cousins, you know, just admired them so much. So yeah. I was just about to get my licence in South Australia. I sort of just made the footy team, just made sort of association basketball teams and stuff like that. And then it was, you were ripped away from everything you knew to this new environment. Mm. And so, yeah, that significantly changed and set a different course, that's all. Yeah. So you, you land in Mildura? Yeah. And how did life start to change for you there? It was interesting. Um, we, I, I, it, we probably moved at a, at a time, uh, it was around October, roughly. Um, that we moved so I didn't end up getting finishing the year and it was like all um, um, all the finals for footy or, or basketball at the time so for probably the first two months I was travelling back and forth or my brothers here's another scary story we made it from Mildura to the Berry basketball courts, I think, in about 42 minutes. It's probably an hour and 10 drive <laughs> normally at the speed limit. So, yeah. yes, that was one of the record dashes. Thanks, Doug, yeah. for taking me. <laughs> Your white knuckles. <laughs> white, oh, well, it was sort of, he just drove everywhere fast. Yeah. <laughs> that was the way it was. Um, yeah, so that transition. So I went then into... A new school, a high school, you were, not that I was ever one of the cool kids, but you had a group, you were established into this new school. I was only 15, just turned 16, so I went from more or less, oh, well, finishing off year 10, I went to year 11 in Victoria, and I was pretty well, because I was reasonably academic, so they said, oh, go up to year 11, and I was with the, all these, Oh, well, mature kids, probably everyone was a year to two years older than me, mm -hmm. just the way it worked. At that age, you it, that helps you grow up really quick. Oh, yeah. Two years is a big difference Absolutely. at that age. Absolutely. <clears throat> so, yeah, going into that and everybody, in a sense, uh, looking down, you get this kid from South Australia got this bit of a funny accent. Um, my solace at that time was... My brothers had actually moved to Mildura probably a year before we did as a family to manage the property and they were playing footy up there. So, And they were pretty good football players, so they were accepted from a football point of view. And so, yeah, um, I ended up repeating, the first year I ended up repeating year 11 only because I sort of lost a bit of interest in the school. Mm -hmm. 
or in schooling, but that was more so around what was happening with our family at the time. So I was just totally distracted, repeated year 11, then started year 12. And yeah, so mm. it took a turn at that stage. Yeah. So your brothers looked after you when you first got there and, oh. and you slipped into there on the, you were riding on their reputation. Absolutely. And, yeah, which is, <laughs> which is, yeah, that's what happens when you've got older brothers and they've set the foundation and, and um, that would have been good for you. Yeah. 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 Oh, only because, yeah, I mean, my involvement in, in sport, it helped me get into a couple of teams. Um, they were AFL players, whereas I probably then started to focusing on basketball at yep. that time. So yep. that helped me establish myself. Yeah. Then, what? Um, how far did you go with basketball? What? What? What made you start playing that? Did you? Did you love it? Oh yeah. Um, probably what made. Oh, actually, I'd started playing down in uh, in the Riverland. Yeah. Again, it was probably something different to my brothers. Yes. And I was, I had a reasonable skill. I could never match them on a football field, so it wasn't not chasing their shadows as such. Yeah. When you say football, AFL. AFL. Yeah. 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 So from a skill level, I mean, they really complemented each other. Yeah. Um, and the re like the main reason why I probably more so focused on basketball was, yeah, I mean. The, Plan AFL, there's this under 17 premiership photo that I played in. It's like there's all these guys there and they're all bulked up beards practically in under 17s and here's me, this little skinny <laughs> runt. <laughs> Going, you know, yeah. just wasn't mature enough to really compete. So then I, I was, I suppose I took to my sport I was pretty tenacious. I had a pretty good engine. I was reasonably quick, but I'd never give up. <laughs> Again, all character <laughs> traits that you have that come through still yeah. to this day. Never the most skillful, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I would never give up. I remember one training session in AFL for Muldura. The coach he put us three brothers on a contact drill together. And it was just ferocious. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Because you never want to lose to your brother. Never. <laughs> I mean, Doug, or Doug, my oldest brother, what, he's 6'4". He always, uh, he's a pretty big dude, you know, solid. Trev was the skillful one, a bit lighter, but, you know, they could always beat me up. Yeah. But, yeah, this session was, was remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine what it would have been like. Everyone just stood back and just watched. And yeah. That probably did our reputation a hell of a lot of good yes. in as far as establishing yourself. For so. sure. Coming from a basketball background, what do you think of The Last Dance, what you've, what oh, you've watched so far? And Fantastic. Mm. Um, but sort of my, out, my involvement in basketball was really sparked by the Celtics-Lakers era you know larry bird magic johnson era yeah so that era just before michael jordan started so yes. at 75 to 85 yes yeah and so you know we used to drool over getting you know snippets of um 
basketball like it was so hard to get mm. but you know that those Celtics and Lakers game were fantastic so yeah that grew into that I remember getting my first pair of Converse shoes and that was like wow they yeah. were leather because grew up playing on outside asphalt asphalt courts in Dunlop volleys mm. So that's probably why my knee is no <laughs> knees good. Are shot. But that's, we'll get into that story. That's why my knees are shot. So it's all linked yeah. around the way. But yeah, then going to the last dance, I actually got to see Michael Jordan and and Magic Johnson play at the forum. It would have been around '89. So it was sort of as Michael was just starting to to blossom. Mm. So yeah, that. That was an experience and a half. What? Where's the forum? Oh, in so, LA. Oh, okay. It was the old forum. Um, there was me and three mates. We went on a skiing trip in the US. Stop it. <laughs> so we're, we. That's another podcast. <laughs> this is. A, there's a whole series that that of stories that come in behind that. But we were, uh, in the in the forum. It was in in downtown LA. Um, a pretty bad area so here's four Aussie guys we'd just flown into LA we'd hired a car and we're going to drive out to the Grand Canyon and we saw the Lakers were playing Chicago in town and so yeah we so we just drove straight down there yeah (laughs) yeah with with the intent of seeing Michael Jordan yes yeah Um, obviously (laughs) it was sold out oh okay we end up you know buying tickets off the scalpers you know, and do you remember what you paid for a ticket back then? It was like two hundred bucks, US or Australian? Oh, US. Oh shit. So it was. Yeah. That was big bickies. I yeah. think it broke me for the rest of the <laughs> <laughs> rest of the trip. But you have a memory to this day. Uh, yeah. Our first. Our. Did you have good seats? No. <laughs> I think we're in the top row. Yeah. Back corner of the forum. Up with the pigeons. Oh. <laughs> uh, like you couldn't even hear the ball bounce. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but some of the banter by some of the spectators was just spectacular. Yes. Anyway, so we four Aussie guys, so we then have wandered down, and we ended up for the last quarter quarter and a half sitting four rows from the front. Oh, really? We got talking to this security guard, said where we were from and what happened, and he said, "Come with me." So he snuck us down. <laughs> Again, another trait that comes out to this day is somehow find a way to do, get things done. Get, get things done. But yeah. that ended up, oh, I mean, that sort of rolled on for that whole trip where we ended up, what we ended up doing. But that experience of watching them play is just a whole different yeah, whole different level. Yeah. It, it's If you haven't seen The Last Dance on Netflix, go and watch it. Yeah. That's the best sports documentary I've ever seen. And I'm not a basketball fan, but I am now. Yeah. I've got a new appreciation for basketball after watching that. Yeah, what I got out of it, I mean, obviously the intensity of someone like Michael Jordan and his desire to to win and how Mm. he grew people mightn't have gone about it the right way in so many people's eyes but does it really matter Mm. I mean I look at one of the things I constantly looked at in the last dance was 
Luke Longley's experience, like, you know, there's been a whole heap of media about he's been pretty silent on it. I'd love to get him in and just talk to about what it was like in those moments to be around that phenomenon. Mm. He never looked happy. No. Luke Longley. No, he didn't. No. But here you are of experiencing the greatest basketball player or an athlete, one of the best of all time in yeah. him covers any sport mm. but the adulation of the crowds is just a different life yes do you know where luke longley is now well he's in perth yeah but he's also a, a advisor for the sydney kings now mm. so there yeah he's in a property so you go from it's i just find it fascinating you go from the heart of working in the a team member in the chicago bulls across three championships to now living in a, on a farm outside of Perth, <laughs> like just the journey, like like you said, you could sit down with that bloke and like, what happened? Yeah, what just what? How did you feel? Mm. Like, what did you get out of every one of those moments? You look at some of those shots or whatever, and in, in the last last episode in in the '98 final series, I mean, there was I think Longley got a dunk to make it level mm. it just what did you feel at that time mm. like the noise the phenomenon but the internal feeling of contributing yeah what would that be like yes for so for me that <clears throat> i sort of now have a new appreciation for basketball were you a michael jordan a scotty pippen a steve kerr or a dennis rodman i'd have to say dennis rodman <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I would do anything. Yes, I was never the, the uh, yeah. There's another whole heap of stories from the Sunraysia dailies and and the press. And I used to be, I got the nickname of Mr. Cool for some reason. But it was just, if you were there, like I'd rebound. I was tenacious. I, you know, I'm only just on six foot, um, not tall, but yeah, I'd do anything. So, yes, it'd be the Dennis Rodman, probably without the partying side. Yeah. Oh, down there. <laughs> I think you can party. You know, there's a term getting around, you've been spanned. <laughs> yes, that, that's true. So, yes. Hello, die. <laughs> Hello, die. Yeah, so, yes, I've spanned a few and probably spanned <laughs> myself many a time, unfortunately. That's good memories come from that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I can see Mr. Cool being picking up and running again around a reading <laughs> after everyone hears that. <laughs> yes, I could, I could, yeah, I probably will have a stick somewhere. Somewhere. But yeah, with my basketball days, I, I, I mean, I was really lucky of, I was really in that transition of when basketball was popular in Australia, its first wave. Yeah. Like when I moved out of Mildura, I moved down to Geelong, so I'd, I'd it was a decision of whether to play, try and pick up AFL or play basketball. I ended up playing basketball, but that, I mean, and then played VBA. I played for Werribee. Um, Is that Victoria Basketball, basketball Association? Yeah, yeah. But it was all based out of, um, out of Melbourne. So yeah. I played against, you know, whether it was Andrew Gaze and all those guys, James Crawford, Oh, I mean, it was just, it was tough. Yes. The, yeah. the VBA or the Victorian Basketball League at that time was a pre-runner to the NBL. 
I, NBL was started, but you know that's where everybody ground their teeth. Yeah. And, and it was. Do you miss those days? Oh no, not really. Yeah. I I miss the energy, and you miss the competitive nature of what that meant as you competing. Mm. But it's all part of the growth of what you had to experience. Yes. And yeah. that's, you know, it's a bit like, you know, you're relaying to your rugby league days. Mm. There's moments in time of stories. You you probably, uh, I, well, not that you can change the past, but you, I probably, if the coronavirus happened <laughs> 30 years ago, what do you change things? Yeah. Not that you look back <laughs> and that. So, yeah, yeah, don't miss it. Has some wonderful memories. Yeah. And wouldn't replace it for the world. Yeah. Did you have a game where you, that's a standout in your memory or a, a tight finish or you won the game? Did, like, where did, where did Mr. Cool come from? Oh, it, it probably I was the go-to person. Yeah. Not necessarily to take the shot, but calm everybody down or control yeah. the team. Yeah. Because of that, I probably always played out of position. I ended up playing point guard, which I generally probably hated because I didn't have this ball handling skill, but I was always put in that position. Okay. Um, yeah, there's there's a few games. Mm. There's a couple. When I first moved to Sydney, like it was a really different atmosphere to play. Um, um, I, the structure in Melbourne or Victoria and the standards were, you know, far outweighed Sydney. So when I come to Sydney, I think when I played that, I won the Rookie of the Year when moving to Sydney. I was 21, 22. <coughs> that um, had a couple games where I scored 70-odd points, things like that. Wow. Winning a game, yeah, were... Um, nine points down i think with about 50 odd seconds to go and ended up scoring 10 points in about 30 seconds how, how just... was that feeling <laughs> like that's that's what i mean when you you go back and do you miss that feeling of that oh the euphoria yeah. of it's just it, it, as quick as it goes it's like that moment everything slows down yes you can see everything before it happens, and mm. that, I mean that that particular game involved a couple of intercepts and changeover, but you actually could see it happening. Yeah. So it was like you were ahead of everybody else. Yes. And that was just a surreal moment. Mm. Uh, that they're the little gold pieces in your life. Oh. That. Yeah. Just you look back on and you just love you, you. They're always fond memories. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and of course, it's like it's exhilarating. Yes. Yes. Because it's just you get adrenaline. That that extra sense just takes over. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring up with you, um, if you're happy to talk about it. The you had up in Mildura, um, the family started. some challenges yeah I, I mean that was really I suppose one of the most significant times in my life and as I said earlier from going from having everything and it wasn't about money it was really about um, a unit and family unit 
and on reflection i one of the it's not regret but i probably had an opportunity to change a lot of things outcome but at that age and my maturity i just wasn't aware like when we moved to muldura um our family broke down and it was all over going bankrupt and having no money so um mum and dad ended up having drinking and gambling issues that was the main cause of it but you know sort of going back a couple of years before we moved um mum and dad always used to come up to muldura and and go to wentworth it was where the poker machines was at that time so um they used to travel I used to go mainly on the weekends, but some weekdays, and I used to be that car park kid. <laughs> and they used to go and play the pokies for hours and days, practically. How old were you? Uh, it started when I was about 13. Wow. 13, 14. So, you know, you're going through, you know, puberty, development, all of those type of things, and I used to go and spend hours sitting in the car at Kumiala car park. I can remember, you know, used to wander down the river, <laughs> you know, probably that's probably where I honed some of the basketball skills because I either had a basketball in the car. That's where my study started to derail because I never used to take any school books. Um, so yeah, um, sit there and I can remember trips home. Like I knew when they either won or lost most of the times it was losing money, mm. but you know, it was a payoff when they won money, they'd buy me something. But then, so we went, so going back to the Muldura story, so we moved into Muldura, um, brothers had a reputation, we're pretty, uh, a well-known family, I suppose. The property that we had was one of the best in Muldura. It was, you know, 500 plus acres of citrus and vines and, mm. And it, yeah, it was a spectacular property of all the things attached with that. So that's probably gave me a lot of credibility. A few people attached onto me as far as, oh, you know, the Spanos. And probably that's part of the, where the nickname come from because I, I sort of brushed all of that and just, you know, I am what I am. But you adopt that attitude. I mean, that's pretty good for your ego at the time of all these people looking up to you but you know, as money issues started to come family started to break down i remember the arguments and fights and me just sitting there thinking what the hell is going on my schoolwork started to dive and it got to a point you know we went bankrupt went bust and so went from having everything family unit you know support to nothing you know a whole heap of so-called friends at that time just dumped me wouldn't talk to me i was disassociated just about everybody at at school there was a couple of um people <coughs> that stayed in touch and tim horbury was one of them that still um stay in touch with so thanks tim um but yeah we went from having total support to nothing so you know had to move i dropped out of school didn't finish year 12 and that sort of led to a whole heap of other things that really led to today and dad got cancer and that was really i suppose karma 
for all the issues that then had a whole heap of other um, ramifications down the track. So, mm. yeah. Do you, <clears throat> how did you feel about your mum and dad at that time? Like, did, going back to 13, sitting in the car park, did you feel that was wrong? Did you feel lonely? Like, how did that make you feel as a, as a, as a kid? Uh, yeah, I, I knew it wasn't right. Yep. But that admiration that you had or love you had for your mum and dad, they're doing the best thing for you. Mm. Didn't feel right, was it? But, okay, they're still looking after me. Um, yeah, the ramifications of that mm. ultimately, you know, caused complete breakdown between, you know, my brothers and mum and dad. And, you know, here I'm sitting in the middle, <coughs> in a sense, trying to protect mum and dad, trying to look after your brothers. Not mm. that um, you could, you couldn't do anything. Yeah. You're, so. you're close to your brothers now? Yeah. And did that always remain, were you always close or was it, were you um, divided during that time? Or like, um, how did you and your brothers cope through all that? Yeah, probably not, not ever divided. Yeah. But... I I suppose where I was, I could never help. Yeah. That 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 as a you felt helpless. Felt helpless. It yeah. was the sense that you couldn't do a goddamn thing. Yeah. And you could see the impact that it was having on on them. Mm. And to this day, it still has impact on on them. You know, now mum and dad have passed away, and that happened a long time ago. But. But that impact still hangs on and changed, especially probably for Trev, about a lot of decisions and about going into business for yourself and what you do, and probably impacted me more than I ever thought at that particular time. Mm. But it's the sense of helplessness is the mm. really t the toughest thing. Mm. Did it change how you saw your mum and dad? Uh, yes. Uh, I suppose respect um, doesn't change the love, but it, it, it's it's sad knowing what they probably stood for. But the beast of alcohol and gambling—it just—it's destructive. There's just nothing positive in any shape or form. Mm. So yeah, it's a really it's a I really don't know how to answer it. Mm. Um, there's a big hole there of everything that you admired and respected of not being there. Mm. It's not, a, in a sense, it was that living a lie. Living a lie. Living a lie. And that yep. has ramifications. Did how you felt, so when the family unit broke down and yeah, the bankruptcy went through its process. Um, did your feelings at that time change or were they different after they passed away? Oh, oh I, I, I suppose that was a evolvement thing. I don't think Dad ever got to say sorry or have that recompense, which was a which is a whole different thing. Mm. Um, Oh no, it was, I suppose your nurturing aspect took over. 
I mean, I ended up, you know, of more or less giving everything I had at that time when I worked and had a car, gave that to dad so he could get around and do things like that. It was, you were like being their parents. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Even buying a house for them to live in, which never eventuated because mum and dad passed away at that time. But it was just doing things like that. It was a swapping of the roles. Yes. And I, 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 and it was, and the, the overwhelming sensation is sadness. Mm. Is they never got to be who they really were. Yeah. Are you at peace with it now? Yeah. Or does it still affect you to this day? Oh, it, I, 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 the, the hurt or the sadness never goes away. You just learn to cope with it. When, first of all, when dad passed away, I was an asshole to everyone. It was unfair, not right, but that was a reaction of everything else. I closed off to everybody, everything that I did. Um, I don't think I was a very nice person during that time. And, you know, that probably took me a year. But the, um, but that, yeah wake up to yourself basically yeah it what, don't have any pity in it it just it's just an overwhelm so it could be a sound could be a bit of music could be a smell like dad when he got cancer first of all he got um throat cancer so he had his voice box removed and he was one of the first people that used one of those speakers mm. or vibration speakers so you, you hear you hear that sound like it for for dad of losing his voice, and I'd say where that was a bit of karma, because he was a great speaker. He was on heaps of boards. He did a whole heap of community stuff. Um, And for him to lose that, and the one thing that I will remember about that is never hearing him laugh again. Mm. And that in a sense was pain, because that that was all my childhood of that happiness of sit the family sitting around hearing laughing mm. so that's the other wog trait that i have by using my hands here but <laughs> <Yeah>. that, <laughs> they were banging on the desk were, what's that banging <laughs> so yeah so that's that's the one thing that it and not to hear your dad's voice for for that period of time that he had cancer mm. or laugh it's yeah it's a really um surreal thing yeah it's um and that that would be tough Mm. and i i guess you start to realize as you get older um you know my age and your age that you start to you know nothing's forever no and you have to really you know things they come and go they live and die and you, you you start to realize that you have to really appreciate things in the moment for what they are and because everything does come to an end yes and that and that uh, this time is a perfect example of that i mean the really the only thing uh, you know, lots of materialistic stuff but i could only imagine to families that have lost you know mm. close and they couldn't even be there mm. for them i just i would that's horrific you know funerals down you can't have people at funerals Mm. you know that in most cases of people's you know letting go that part that would be terrible yeah um how long ago was it when you lost your mum uh 19 (coughs) years ago wow 
um, and that was 21 years ago. So in a period of two years um, from, I mean, Dad had cancer for um, yeah, 10, 12 years and that, you know, there's a whole story of what we went through with Dad and through there, but he was, yeah, two years before Mum. So it was a really long, drawn-out death and, you know, we spent days and weeks in hospital, you know, by his bed and and through that process. But the difference with Mum, um, she was down at Doug's property helping out with the apricots and she'd... Um, had a bit of a turn, went to, or Doug took her to hospital, and anyway, she had a blocked aorta in her heart, um, they flew her to Adelaide, I flew down to Adelaide, um, she was going to have surgery the next morning, I think it left, left um, mum about 11 o'clock in Adelaide Hospital, got a call at 12 o'clock, she had an aneurysm, and passed away so that 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 part of yeah the difference was quite extreme but over those two years we lost dad six months later lost his brother he got killed in an accident out the front of his place then mum and then dad's other brother so yeah that's a lot to deal with in a short period of time yeah so it, the <coughs> reason saying that is you know you had Everything that held true from a family point of view was just about taking it, taken away from you. It's you gone. Know, it's gone. Mm. It's, yeah. You, you said that you probably weren't nice to everyone around you and that was probably how you were coping with what was happening. Um, do you remember what brought you out of that or was there a moment where you realised and I'm... Um, I need to change or I'm not happy? It was um, someone at work, um, uh, his father died and oh, I, Martin at the time, I mean Martin was, uh, he was close, he was in his mid-sixties at the time so his father was, you know, in his nineties and it was just a conversation that I probably initially thought, well, you, you know, your dad's had, lot, you know, he's had a pretty good innings and, mm. you know, you're 60 odd. Yeah. Um, what do you got to worry about? And just to seeing his sadness and what it meant to him. And it was really a moment like that. And it was, why are you feeling so sorry for yourself? Yeah. You're a dick. <laughs> and it was just as simple as that. And it was like, well, you know, the feeling is exactly the same. It doesn't matter whether you're, mm. you know, young, old, anywhere indifferent in between, but stop being so self-obsessed mm. that your world is so bad. Yeah. Oh, I, one thing that I do know, you know, from working with you and, and having your ready and what we're trying to develop there and, you know, the 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 most dominant thing that, comes out of you is your caring side and how you care for others mm. and i think if you had that perception that you were like that during that time that's completely gone now because you're the complete opposite like you are 
you know you you care very deeply about people around you yeah i uh and don't show it enough i i think that's that's one thing again not a regret but um being real and showing that compassion it just it's so important to me Mm. and and again family and having people that really care about you around you yes speaking of family you have your own family have my own family so why i remember um why i remember mum's yeah i'm never really that good on dates but because we've when mum passed away we found out um a month later that um we were having a baby so that was elaine my daughter so okay she's now 18 and so mum passed away in in um or february around february so yeah uh wife is elizabeth beth so we've now been married 27 years wow how did you meet at work um beth was my boss so still is still is um <laughs> a sexual harassment case in the making so yeah we got to uh, work together uh, for a long time before anything happened so probably based on around friendship and respect yeah of each other so that's how that developed yeah that's awesome and then yeah um elena come along you know 10 years after we'd been together we'd sort of practically given up on on family or wasn't going to happen wasn't meant to be and it was you know a cruel twist of fate that mum and dad always wanted oh, i suppose a grandchild from me um my brothers would say i was the favorite of the family at the time and still do yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and you know mum and dad never got to um never got to see that but it was it, it, you know that's probably the hardest thing in into looking at a at elena that she never got to meet her grandparents mm. that's probably one of the most difficult things yeah yeah because it's that special relationship and then that's where i, I suppose my friends and you know kathy and alex and ross and die and die's parents bob and doreen have all adopted that grandparent role and help helped us through famously on you know supporting elena what's been the the best thing of raising a daughter oh just watching her grow Mm. you know i've got a thousand bits of advice from everyone about having a daughter but that's fantastic yeah you know she's a kind caring soul and that's you can't wish for any more yeah, I, um, I guess you know, of a parent, you're always proud of your of your kids. And is there? Um, she's just recently graduated from school. Yeah, and um, that would would have been a proud moment to get her to that point. Oh yeah, I, I, it's every moment. Yeah. I, I just it's an involvement. I, I probably don't put as much significance on, say, year twelve. I. I the, probably the proudest moment has been through coronavirus. I mean, I've posted some pics on our uh, reading the, nutrition the restaurant, at <laughs> restaurant at home. Just you know what she's done to contribute to help 
and show that, yeah, it just yeah makes you smile. Yeah. What do you hope for her future? What do Whatever you... she wants to be. I just I, I um, have nothing. There's not that you don't. I hope that she fulfills everything that she wants to be. Mm. Yeah. What that is, I you know people probably don't understand that that I. I Probably I don't drive her enough, but then that's probably my nature and her nature is you've just got to capture the moment. Yes. Yeah. Embrace that. As long as they're happy. Yes. Mm. Um, Whereabouts do you currently live? In Leonay. Nice little spot there. Nice spot. Back onto Leonay Golf Course, third hole. So if you've hit a ball into my yard, (laughs) come and get it and I'll give you a drink. What, uh, why Leonay? How did you end up living there? Um, just by fate. Um, so when Beth used to live at Kernel, okay, at Far Kernel, yeah, it was a long way from Penrith. So <laughs> when I when I first moved to Sydney, I um, was managing an easy walk and shoe shop in High Street in Penrith. Um, uh, just where you ended up so then that sort of developed into playing basketball um, doing all those things in Penrith uh, then started a relationship with Beth I'd it established myself and I was probably heavily involved in basketball at that time yeah and work and doing all those type of things but Beth lived at Cornell um, her, her condition of getting out of the shire was find a house with a pool. Otherwise, I'm not moving out of the shire. Yep, yep. Can't disagree with that. <laughs> so whether that was... If you're going to move to Penrith, you want a pool, especially <laughs> so, in summer. Jesus. Probably wasn't the smartest, brightest idea at the time of of not of me not moving to the shire, but moving her out of the shire. It's um, just found a house and that's what it was Mm. that was the condition so i suppose in anywhere there's probably nowhere in between that you would live Mm. it's either the beach or the bush (laughs) as such yeah and i suppose my um my upbringing um i had more of an attachment to the mountains and because it's pretty peaceful where we live, you're not in a build-up area, back onto the yeah. golf course, two streets from the, you know, can hop on your bike and be, you know, in the bush. Yeah, it's a pretty convenient spot there. Yeah, so it suited me more than anybody else. <laughs> That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. What, um, what's the secret to a long, happy marriage? So, what, 27 years? 27 years. It's tough. Yeah. She's probably more so she's had to put up with me um, through all those times. Uh, you just got to work at it mm. every day. There's yep. no secrets to it. Mm. It's tough yep. to maintain. I, I, the biggest thing is, I suppose, removing your ego out of it. Mm. Have the ability to say sorry. Not that I probably had that ability for a very long time, <laughs> but yeah. Do lots of wrong things, lots of good things, and everything in between. So you seem like you're doing okay. Yeah, it's it's just about I, the the 
this uh, it's probably that commitment to family or it's yes. not probably of, from how I've and all the things are said about looking at what my family's been through you have this drive to keep that together and 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 what keeps us together is now yeah you have elena that's what i was going to ask you is your how you view your family unit um is that influenced at all from how you were what happened to you oh absolutely yeah i'd you know yes mm -hmm. I, pull that if, um you can lean back just pull it forward a to, bit yeah sorry that's it. um yeah, I, that that influences you. Uh, the fact of not having grandparents, not having so again the support unit around you, um, and yeah, that that what keeps a lot of it together. Yeah, what's the most challenging thing you've had raising a, a daughter? Um, no challenges. That's good. Just our arguments. Yep. Um. I, every time I have an argument, it, I see me coming out, you know, and yeah, probably from a stubbornness point You're of view. Arguing at a mirror. Arguing at a mirror. <laughs> I laugh. I turn into a laugh at a laugh at it and that infuriates oh, her yeah. even more. Yeah. But yeah, I, no challenge. It's a learning experience. Yeah. I, every day still learning it changes, yeah. you know, from a, having a baby in your arms to now. You know, a young woman trying to establish herself. Uh, yeah. You learn every day how to deal with it from her coming home last night drunk from the next door neighbours and <laughs> having to get a bucket out. Sorry, Elena. <laughs> but, you know. We've all been there. All been there. Many, many times. Many, many, many times. Yeah. So, and that's still, good. That's good. Because, you know, uh, and I think that's the, you know, again, another great quality of yours. You're always looking at the positives. And you're always, um, you know, like you've just said, it's not a challenge. Like that's just, you know, you learn along the way. And, and I think that's, you know, that, that's how you, how I see you. And a lot of people see you is you always are thinking like that. Yeah. I, I, I really like, and trying to live the moment. Yeah. Like again, in relating it to Elena, it, her path is her path her decisions are her decisions and she's going to be confronted with a lot the same as all of us have been mm. yeah you just hope for her she makes the right one for her mm. it can't be for me or it can't be for a mother or it can't be for us it needs to be her all you can do is guide it yes and be there and be there if something doesn't go to plan you're there for her yeah i mean she's been <clears throat> in a sense blessed in a way that she's never really had to do without anything and that's you know good bad or indifferent uh but you try and instill values yes that's what you aim to do yeah she's spoiled rotten but, but you know yes and no in some ways she is in some ways she's not I mean, that's sort of talking in circles but yeah. but you know I, I believe she'll do good for herself. Yeah, I think her future is bright. Yes. Mm. Can I take everyone back to what have you done? So I want to take people on a journey from where you started working. So when maybe when you come to Sydney, 
to where we are now. So where was your first job when you landed in Sydney or, or say maybe in Mildura? Like where have you worked? Yeah. Okay, so first job was at Berry, or go back to first job in the Riverland, it was at Berry Fruit Juices selling, selling fruit juice. Actually, Trev used to work there. So I could still tell you um, codes on top of cans and when they were oh, made. I bet you could too, yes. <laughs> and tomato juice of when it was made and all those type of things. So yeah, used to work at Berry Fruit Juices, so just at the sales yeah. counter selling dented cans of juice. Yeah. Tomato juice and apricot nectar were the two best sellers <laughs> at that time. Then progressed to doing factory tours. Um, uh, but then we moved away, so went to school, and then I started the journey in retail. Started work at Easy Walk and Shoes in Mildura. Um, it was a, a difference of a day between being a, probably a carpenter and being a shoe salesman for the rest of my life, practically. What happened? Um, I. A friend of mine, another great friend of mine, Mal Shipsides, he was going down and doing an entrance exam at the School of Mines in Ballarat. Um, I took the day off school, I wagged school to go down with him. He went in to do the exam and I walked in with him for some reason and the guy said, oh, do you want to do it? Yeah, no problem. So I ended up doing this entrance exam for a carpenter's apprenticeship. Anyway, so... And this was at the time when dad was sick. So then I was in the middle of the year, um, had lost interest in doing school, I was in the middle of year 12. Um, walked in, saw a sign on a window in Langtree Avenue, Easy Walk and Shoes, Sarsal assistant wanted. Walked in, yeah, uh, had the interview. Two hours later, they rang at home and said, you've got the job. We've got to get this kid in. <laughs> so <laughs> He can sell ice to the Eskimos, this kid. Got the job. Next morning, get a phone call from the School of Mines and I've been accepted into um, the carpentry course. Um, Dad said, you've already accepted that job. You've got to honour your word. Wow. That then started that. Did you want that? But or it didn't matter to you? Didn't matter. Okay. It was a, as a way out of school. Yes. So that, that what it was, probably the fact that if it wasn't in Ballarat that you had to go and um, study, I probably would have taken it. Ballarat in Victoria is the equivalent to Lithgow here. Yeah. It's not a great place. And Goulburn. <laughs> Goulburn, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ballarat. I, I won't repeat what I referred to Goldman as. <laughs> yeah, the other day, so <laughs> that's what come to mind in Ballarat. Yes. So, yeah, then started work there. Um, Did you like it? Selling yeah, shoes? Selling shoes. Yeah. yeah, it was good fun. I, it was, I, I mean, that was, what, 91? So what's that, 40 years? 30, 30 40 years ago. 81, yeah, 81. 30, 30... Might have been 81 I started. Okay, it yeah, because 30 years yeah, ago. Yeah, 40 years ago, so it had to be in 81 I started there. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, we were, it was at that time, it was one of the best stores in Australia. It was taking around a million dollars, you know, in those times selling... Jesus. 
20 or $30 shoes. That was amazing. Wow. The equipment. Yes. So, yeah, had a, um, had a boss that was a, a drill sergeant, Peter Kyle, how are you doing? But from a discipline point of view, um, he was great. Yeah. Really uh, kept you in line. Um, met another guy there, uh, a story one day, he used to ride his motorbike to school every, oh, to school, to work every day. And, you know, we were a bit of pranksters, had a bit of a laugh every now and then, but we'd, um, it was a koala shoes and it was the old koala sandals. And sometimes um, they used to come with stickers. So we end up sticking this koala bear sticker on his helmet. <laughs> anyway, so he didn't realise it there and drive it. And Perfect. He found out and he, it was like he was the principal. If he could stand us up and give us the cane, he would have. But mm. anyway, our life was hell for the next month or so. <laughs> he must have hated it. Oh, he did. He really hated it. Yeah. So, yeah, then I ended up being a relieving manager, so um, all through country Victoria. So I probably spent six months of the year off down to Ballarat or Bendigo or Horsham, Griffith or Wagga. Uh, when the managers used to go on holidays, they used to send me around as a bit of a Mr. Fix-It to look after the store, fix it up, do a few things, so yeah. Um, Which is what you still do to this day. It's still do, no different. So that's where the yeah. training of that come in. Um, yeah, worked there for yeah, three years, and then but that travelling involved over that period of time. Then they offered me a job in Geelong. Moved to Geelong, was there in Melbourne or Geelong and Melbourne for about a year, and then come up to Sydney into Easy Walk and Penrith. Mm. Is it? Did you start to develop a sense of I want a career out of this at that point? Never. Has you got more responsibility or never thought about it that yep. way? To be honest, yeah, it was never a career. Yeah, it was about what was before you mm. and what you had to do. So that's where the work ethic gets in. So um, yeah, just work hard, mm. do your best. And, you know, that come to the fore, it led to something else. It was never about sales or wanting a career in sales yeah. or retail. Never thought about it that way. Did you start to think about business? Yeah, probably the, the, that then, say, the link to the family issues. As soon as that thought come into your head. Yes, yeah. Just never eventuated. Mm. Over the years, I... <clears throat> had opportunities to go into good guys or had always set open my own um, retail business as such but I never had the gumption or I suppose it was all the hang-ups from the past what happened to the family of not wanting to risk that was really the major factor yep mm. so yeah I'd always thought about it but never which is really interesting so when we get to Aridi, I'll, I'll come back to that question <laughs> of what's changed. But so you moved up to, first of all, would you like a beer? Yes. I'm going to ask you, so what happened, and I'll just scoot off and get us one. Um, you then moved up to Sydney? Moved up to Sydney. Mm -hmm. uh, moved into 
Penrith. Um, so working at that time, um, Easy Walking Shoes were owned by Coles Meyer, so it was a big conglomerate, so moved up to there. And then Payless Shoes um, bought out our phase and Easy Walking Shoes at the time. Yep. So yeah, that's when I first met Beth, but then uh, another big influence on my life, I met Graham Skilbeck, who was the owner, thank you, was the owner of Payless Shoes at the time. So yeah, he's been a strong mentor, friend, and great influence over my life mm -hmm. into some of the things that happened. And then from there, just, I suppose, jobs in retail. I've worked for a few. Cheers. Cheers. Um, left Payless Shoes, worked <laughs> for Roger David in menswear for a while. Uh, from Roger David, oh, um, went back to Payless Shoes, then worked for various, from David Jones to bar barbecues galore. Worked for a company, Retail Performance, which is associated with Sony. So I did a whole heap of in-store merchandising with Sony. So all around retail, run a whole heap of Sony stores or store in stores, what they called them at the time. Um, who else? Were yeah. you the national sales manager for Payless Shoes? Like mm. that, what were your titles for those? Uh, so progress from really store managers to regional managers then got into operations but my main gist was supply chain mm. so ended up going back to uni and got a supply chain or logistics degree did that uh, how so old were you when you did that went back to uni correct 30 yeah, so it's, not, it's never too late, is it? No. Like, I'm, I'm about to, as like, I'm, I'm, you know, a third of the way through mine. I'm 45, and, you know, there's there's people out there that I have to go to uni at, at 19 or 20 because my life's over if I don't. But, you it's know, only just beginning. It's just beginning, <laughs> and you can always go to uni. doesn't matter what age. age. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, some people know what they want to do, but, you know, if you, you don't know... A lot of the times at 20 what you want to do and but at least when you are older you and have a bit of life experience you sort of then choose the degree that really resonates with who you are and what you want to do yeah i How still did you... still don't know what i wanted to do until yeah. a ready come along <laughs> really I, yeah I, yeah yeah the essence of uh, and multiple other jobs but um Never found the right one. I then come across the uni and started to, you know, started the uni, what, not 10, 12 years ago. So I was at the uni for nine years. So, I mean, over that span of, you know, 20, 30 years, experienced a lot of things. Mm. Um, That's what I wanted to give everyone an insight into, um, <clears throat> you know, like not a lot of people know your background and you know just how how fortunate we are to have you as part of a reading in the drive of the you know the potential of the commercial side of things that whole you know um you know we all have a, you have a small business but you've had a lot of experience on multiple small businesses and you know on a regional and national level 
yeah, you know, corporate and everything in the world, you know, from having, you know, strong dealings with Sony, who's an international multi-billion dollar, billion dollar company, you know, and going through, you know, and working with PlayStation and things like that, and just the knowledge that you gather um, and absorb, and it all fundamentally boils down to a of basic things about caring and being genuine but that's where I always struggled with most uh, things I did it got to a point besides the self-sabotage of not wanting to be successful but um, <clears throat> and that you know goes back to the the family thing again um, yeah it, it's it's funny the traits have always been the same um, going back to the uni thing it's like it doesn't matter it, when you're ready you're ready mm. I, I i ended up getting the award for academic excellence at sydney uni doing the holistic uh, um, logistics degree and you go you know that's ridiculous give it to me uh, yeah i yeah i've got hds and 99 out of 100 for or 99 percent for a um, statistics course and doing all that it's just that I think the older you are or you have more knowledge and know how to use it mm. not that's instead of trying to change your world mm. you just take it absorb it adjust it and then you'd know how to present it a hell of a lot better that's you have context from both sides of the yes. fence so those that go straight into uni you only have you've been in this school environment and then it's still it's just uni's an extension of that but when you have lived life you then are presented with information in in a course but you have context not only from the education side of what they're trying to give you but you also have the context of how that applies to life i think it's learning how to apply it mm. like it, it and understanding how you learn is a real important key to it. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, with most mm. inst or most all institutions and how people, it's so, I'll call, it's one way and it doesn't fit everybody. And it's just, uh, it's averaged, it's, it, it's mediocre. It's a flat line. Mm. <laughs> Everyone's got to come to that line. It doesn't, in a sense, reward, uh, you know, except for the exceptional ones, but they're the one percenters. Yeah. And they're always going to be that way anyway. Mm. But, yeah, coming back to individually, just learn uh, how to do it and you ultimately learn how to live life. Yeah, definitely. I'd, one you know a learning too and one a story that you know resonates you know of who you are and and um is the time you you looked at something around the refund policy and how you know just looking at something and putting the customer first and then how that f flipped around to be a benefit to the company yeah yeah I, that story is a real and i still have that argument with anybody that come in to today and you could walk into any retail any manufacturer any policy that comes around that that 
it's simple if you do the right thing if your product doesn't service what that customer needs as willing as you are to take the money be as willing to give it back mm -hmm. simple as that yep you'll get some people that will try and rip you off you'll get people that will try and abuse it but what's the real percentage of that uh, you know question mark and any time that someone has given me the right to do that and it's a bit and we'll it's a bit like the old gym policy of, mm. of where people contracts sign people up and the philosophy of you know globo gyms is their best customers are the one that don't use it hence the sleepers that's oh, but it's really the basis of the same sort of thing if someone's not going to use your product service and it's not good for them just simply give their money back so the stats behind that was that you remove any barrier to the sale, 14 days return, 30 days, you've got to have the original receipt, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. All they are is barriers to the purchase. Because they don't want to take the risk up front. That's right. <clears throat> so you as, as the retailer or whoever you are, take the risk. Mm. That's it's simple as Stand that. Stand behind your service or your product. That's if you're not happy, bring it back to me, and you can have your money back. Mm. And the stats behind it is that your refund percentage as a total to sales will diminish or halve overnight because there's two things that happen: your sales increase. You might have the same amount of refunds, but as a percentage, it's less immediately. Yes. Because that, where does that one extra sale come from? Mm -hmm. That's, oh, I mean, that's the philosophy that I. How do you make an extra sale a day, even if you say it's twenty dollars? Where does that come from? You can never tell. Mm. Hundred dollars, you know, five days, a hundred dollars a week. It's all of a sudden five grand a year mm. out of one. All those numbers then add up. Yes. So, you know, people make decisions in the back office or at head office. They're not at the front having the argument. Mm. <laughs> and where I probably got that philosophy from, I remember back in the old easy walking days, uh, you know, customer, like we had a shit refund policy. You know, old ladies throwing slippers at me because <laughs> they wanted to return them. We said, no, you can't because you haven't got your receipt. You know that they're your... They're, but you know, just things like that. And I suppose that, that in mind has always been my philosophy about caring for the customer. Yes. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, and I, you, know, you, you told me that story um, when we first, because um, when you first took over the management of the, the gyms and we had a policy of, you had a contract, whether it was one month, six months, or 12 months, and whether you use the gym or not, you that's you're responsible for paying X amount of dollars for that length of time. After two months, I've, you know, you've still got, um, you know, after two months, you've got 10 months to run on your contract. Look, I, this is, I'm moving away. Sorry, you got to keep paying you, this gym <laughs> until, and you know, that was one thing that we caused a lot of friction, a lot of trouble at, you know, for myself, staff, just arguing or trying to defend a, a, a policy, a policy oh. you did not believe in, but 
you that was the policy of the uni so you had to do it um and just the the trouble and the angst that that caused and then when you come in and said what are we doing there's no we the customer is you know if they need to move away they move away then you just that's it they don't pay anymore what's the point like just cancel the contract and um or if someone hadn't used it and was paying for x amount of months then refund them the money if they want if they haven't used the service what it hasn't cost us anything anyway so that was one thing that you brought in that was just such a pressure relief off staff and and it comes back to you know your philosophy and your experience in that refund situation and um you know i think if every business could operate along those same lines there'd be so much less angst and friction it just removes that out of the way mm. and what is it really going to cost you mm. that's the question mm. like you've got to admit your product was shit it's yep. faulty you didn't supply the service is that a bad thing mm. or charging people for not even using your service you know my thoughts on that <laughs> like yeah. you know sleepers you yeah. know, when we walked into manage, you know, it was what, 42%. There was people that were paying contracts that hadn't used the gym in two and a half years. And no one had bothered to call them. <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. And why would you sit there and, I mean, that, why would you sit there and happily take their money? It either means two things, you're damn lazy and you don't give a shit. Mm. And then your service that you're delivering is not acceptable mm -hmm. and it just becomes a sales task of then selling a contract you're not selling your service mm. you know the celebration of I've signed another one yep yeah I, I remember starting at the uni and I had two weeks of training and and the majority of that two weeks or was all about how to um, put the sales into your memberships how to sell memberships it had nothing to do with um, care for people so as soon as I started it was I, I don't want to sell memberships I want to care for people yeah. so and then that's how that developed but that's the mentality of at that time was just just sell memberships we don't care about anything else yeah and I, I that's always grated me yes and then when when businesses that I've worked for and that's ultimately why I've left because it's either it turns into greed or owner's ego mm. and they stopped listening and they wanted a particular way and it could mean a thousand different ramifications yeah yeah well um it's not for me can we a lot of people listening would um, probably know us or came to know us from being at the university how did you um when did you start there what was your time like there can you talk about that yeah it was it's really interesting the mix of the university life and being in a i suppose that that uh public institution institutionalized mentality i the reason why i first went there was here i was working predominantly for sony working 70 80 hours a week my office at that time was in mossman so i was driving from 
Penrith, Lane, to Mossman, probably spending four hours in a car a day. Mm. Costing me 1500 bucks a month in tolls. And it's sort of, why? <laughs> this is just crazy. Had a crazy boss. Nancy, hope you're doing well. <laughs> like just... <laughs> Um, hope you're doing well. <laughs> I hope you're doing that well. sarcastic? No, I, I really do. I really okay. hope you're doing well and sorted out all your demons because <laughs> stop taking it out on everybody else and have a good look at yourself. Calm down, then. <laughs> Calm down. But, oh, like, you know, there's an, yep. another thousand horrific stories of just how people treated each other. Yes. And, and sit there and lie. Again, that's a whole different string of... A conversation but yeah so saw an ad in the paper went and I actually it was with UWS connect and on the outside it looked pretty good um, the job was actually looking after the bookstores warehouse and it was in El, uh, El stable square it was in a uh, 50 meter square meter old stable practically this warehouse and they wanted someone to manage that as well as run their software for their point of sale or develop that because the guy that implemented it was leaving anyway a full-time job of of this and like i've walked in you know come from say a logistics background of running three or four thousand square meter warehouse selling five million pairs of shoes a year and turning that over you know 10 20 20 30 40 foot containers i mean that was an interesting link and that's another link from our past of, mm, yeah. of you working for Payless shoes in the warehouse yes we'll get to that one shortly but yeah so walking into this and and um into an interview and thinking uh, what am i doing here like and my overqualified and mm. and shouldn't be sitting here having this interview so you know from a money point of view it was about half the money i was or a third of the money i was earning yeah but it was close to home <laughs> and you know if, if the guys didn't ask me that were interviewing me a thousand times you yeah, sure you you how do you how will you adjust to this i said not a problem <laughs> i'm coming for your job <laughs> I'm coming. I said, but that's ultimately what they were afraid of it actually yeah. wasn't about me doing their job it was that like it's really interesting in that interview process that's precisely what they would have been thinking and then that stayed with me and i i remember like from the buyers and other people within the organization always thinking I was there to take over their job and that was the furthest thing from my mind mm. it was again the philosophy of let's just do the right thing here there are easier ways to do things and there's more practical ways it's nothing to do with what I recommend it's just better ways to do it mm. and no one really could ever con uh, conceptualize that at the gym or mm. in sorry not at the gym but at western sydney university so that sets off a whole other train of events mm. like you know 
was there for nine years. So yeah, it went from really, uh, you know, warehouse manager for 50 square meters and running a point of sales things and then then running Western Unlimited. Mm. But always under the same premise that everybody always thought I was there to get their job. I don't want your job. Yeah. <laughs> So what what was Western Unlimited? So what in okay? Let's go skip forward to you know the end of the nine years. What were you um, running manager of? So Western Unlimited it came out of um, uh, UWS Connect. So rebranding for the university. So some bright spark come up with the name of Western Unlimited. Limited as, as a name. That's still one of the, the best <laughs> business names I've ever heard. Western Unlimited Limited. Limited. Yeah. <laughs> it worked. It, the Western Unlimited was great and had heaps of potential. Yeah. So if you take that name alone and really run with it, don't put any rules behind it and let things and people be who they are. Mm. That was always my philosophy on running things. Get rid of all the rules. Yeah. There's it, two things to that, uh, and, I, and I've always said that, okay, when it comes to auditing money, it's black and white. You need rules in place, and this is how it's done. But most of my issues always come in that because I had an attitude of removing rules and conditions that it applied to that process no it didn't that's black and white that needs to be as solid and it's a simple decision there's no gray in that yeah anyway back to your question uh, western unlimited uh, run all the student ser services and commercial for western sydney university so cafes did all the catering um student services and that was split up ultimately uh, taken out of my uh, the gyms and that's where we come into meeting so yeah it was a and we had bookstores also or retail stores so we had about 22 at that time food outlets cafes coffee shops three four gyms um and you, six retail stores do you recall that the um turnover of all of those businesses that you were in charge of it was around 10 million mm. at that time. Yeah, it was and a big the, business. It was. Yeah. But it was, again, all about the people. So, yeah, that sl slowly dwindled as then the uni sold off the retail stores, started selling components of um, the food, and ultimately got rid of everything and wound mm. up Western Unlimited Limited. Yes, it, it got very limited, didn't it? <laughs> yes, it got very limited. <laughs> I remember when they changed to Western from UWS Connect to Western Unlimited, ignoring the limited part, but Western Unlimited, I remember being excited about the potential of getting behind that name and what it, what it could stand for, what it could represent, the unlimited potential of everything that you did. Um, uh, yeah. it, it was really... It was, in a sense, the making of that business of what it could be. Yes. It, it, it was a significant change. It ch chopped off all the stigma that came with UWS Connect and all the underhanded stuff that went in there, all the 
whether you take nepotism or where it come out of student unions and stuff mm. like that, just removed all of that. But you know, in hindsight, it was it was doomed from the start. It was set up only in name only, and it was never going to survive. So that's probably where my battles came in. Is I had this great vision for it, but you're undermined at every moment at every stage of what it was gonna mm. gonna happen because the biggest battle was um, the food and beverage side of the business yeah and it was all around standard <clears throat> and excellence mm. I, I, I just yeah I, I may have approached it in a wrong manner to get people offside but it was about what the opportunity was oh yeah i i can i'll stop you there because you know see my dealings you know sort of go back a bit where you became my boss and you know then the meetings that we had and you know i was privy to meetings from you know the food and beverage side of things and um, as a group and there was never ever anything unreasonable we were all under the same instructions whether it was the gym or the cafe it was i think the struggle that um you and uh, Western Unlimited had was there was people that had been there for so long and so ingrained in there um, they just wanted to show up pay me every Wednesday and leave me alone yep whereas we, you, you and then you know a few other people were trying to drive a service that cared about people and you know whether it was whether they come to get a coffee or some banana bread or come and use the gym it was you just wanted a service delivery that cared. Yes. I, I, and that was, there was, so there was no, you, you approached it perfectly. It was some people that didn't um, want to care. Yeah, I, I, I had a good old laugh to myself in, in thinking about that, uh, relating it to the last dance and Michael Jordan of his uncompromising mm. uh, to win. But I, I, not relating it to myself, but it was about driving excellence. Mm. And yes, you were going to step on to toes, but at the other end, as a group, I mean, Western Unlimited ultimately was only me. There was no or yes. other than yourself and yeah, what yeah. you had at the Hawkesbury, <clears throat> at the Hawkesbury outlet. There was nothing else in Western Unlimited that was worth hanging on to. There was no soul to it, was no. it? No. Yeah. The soul had been eaten away and it, there's a particular person that the karma bus is coming that's gonna get him at one stage, but yep. <laughs> won't mention his name, yep. but you know who you are, yep. that undermined everything for self-adulation and ego. Mm. Mm. And that's, that's a destructive personality. Yes. And ultimately, you know, you look at Western Unlimited today, what exists of it? Nothing. Mm. Sold everything off. You know, the bookstores were a perfect example. It was hard work to build it and to get it to a point. But looks what, look what happened to the co-op. Now defunct. Mm -hmm. Bankrupt. It's, every business is hard work, but you've got to be willing to put that in. Mm. It gets back to that work ethic again. Exactly. Do you remember the time? So, um, so we're getting to the point now where you know our paths crossed. Um, 
we were the gyms were under the control of community services and then it was determined that the gyms because they're you know we have a you know some we we turn over money make a profit make a loss we should be put into commercial services which you were in charge of the commercial services arm so do you remember at the time when um, they said you're going to now be managing the gyms as well? What, what, what do you remember that day? Yeah, I remember it very clearly. I'd, what did you think? I was at a meeting in the office. Um, you received a phone call. <laughs> um, I was sitting in this. Did you know prior to that? No. Oh, so you got told that. Today. At that moment. Wow. Okay. So that makes sense. So. You you got a phone call said, can you come over to the person calling yeah. in my office? I want to talk about things with you. That Because the conversation had happened 10 seconds before that. Wow. So, okay, I'd never met. I mean, although we were 50 metres from each other, yep. I'd never really met you. I'd walked into the gym a couple of times. Um, yeah, okay. So we sat around that round table. <laughs> I thought, ah, oh, yeah, I had, you know, gyms, I'd been aware of it, I'd known the people that had been through it, had heaps of potential in my eyes, and it was around health, or all I was thinking about, health and fitness. Mm. And I'd, you know, had a couple conversations with certain admin people before about their philosophy and who was in charge of it before, and I could never understand the running of it from a what your purpose was mm. that was never never clear had my ideas so yeah then we met across the table craig richard richard craig mm -hmm. <laughs> yep and that, it was what a flash office and <laughs> I, I actually thought maybe i'm getting sacked because <laughs> i didn't know what we were going to discuss had and, your shorts on and you yeah. had sweaty palms at yeah, the time dressed up in corporate like you know good attire and i just rock in on my polo shirt and shorts and um, am i gonna get the sack here <laughs> and i think i walked over to your office afterwards and said i you know yeah this is just as new to me you've mm. got to get used to how i work but but uh, you know let's discover yeah. what we can do mm. Because that was the first time that I'd probably had a someone to really report to. Yeah. And so I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, we'd, we'd sort of built a community there that was, you know, just happy. And just everyone enjoyed coming to the gym. There was still, you know, I was a bit apprehensive of going into commercial services. I oh, will get back, you know, it, it take away all the care that we sort of had and would become quite corporate again and um but for that for that time it was nothing like that and then you came in and just basically gave us more leash to do things to you know um from equipment um you know signing off on crossfit trying to get a better um, management system put in place that was going to benefit people um make it less friction for the staff um you know elevate the you know our, our standards in terms of uniform and um you know how we conducted coaching and all of that so it was it was um 
you know, at first it was like, oh, what are we in for? But then it became the best thing because you enhanced or gave us um, a lot of help to further the care that we were giving. Yeah, I, my experience in that was what I was told to do from the first time I walked in and it was purely a sense and a feeling. And there's not too many times... When you walked into the gym? When I yep. walked into the gym and sat down and spoke to you on the edge of your desk in that corner office overlooking. It's just something that you feel. That, and I suppose I'm using my experience, there's very few times that you walk into a place and you feel that type of energy. So you knew something was happening. All I was told was, you know, um, Craig doesn't do this, Craig doesn't do that. Um, we should be more like Penrith or Bankstown, horrific nature of being more like Bankstown and Penrith. But okay, yeah. I, In terms of policy? Policy, yeah. procedure, just, yeah. it was just. <clears throat> I, I, was, I was trying to do the bare minimum of getting navigate through all that bullshit matches my philosophy yeah. down to a T. Yeah. Like it's all that stuff besides the audit stuff is it's a bare minimum. Mm. You do whatever you need to do to satisfy and that was the trouble with the institution that had overtaking what overtaken what you were really there for. Mm. So what I saw in the gym was here's an opportunity to implement a whole set of philosophies that I believe in mm. had nothing to do with the uni and mm. who was in control of the uni. Ultimately, or well actually not to my detriment, just in, enhance my beliefs a hundredfold, I suppose, that experience. Not a negative, a total positive. Um, yeah, so walked in and saw what you were trying to achieve. Mm. And it was like, yeah, it's simple. Just take off all the leash. Just un unravel this and let's make it as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. Which is what happened. <laughs> and yeah. Mm. And that's all that needed to be done because the community and what you guys had at Hawkesbury at the time was, yeah, it was a great atmosphere. It was a great energy. So why wouldn't you want to do this everywhere? Mm. And it was, again, as simple as that. Yeah. I remember some meetings where, you know, we were talking about the gym being, it was just such a happy place at, at the time and, um, you know, members were happy and we were trying to, you know, harness what the energy was in there and how we were going about things in terms of service and caring for people and then trying to put that into the food and beverage outlets and it just, they just didn't want a bar of it. It's because no one in there actually cared. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, back to what you said before, that I just wanted to turn up. There was, there was, there been no injection of life mm. into that, and it, and it wasn't about money. It was really about attitude. That was the difference in, in your gym. It was all about attitude and willingness and care. Yep. That's all you had to capture. Mm. And it wasn't wasn't about in a sense saying yes or no it's saying okay let's give it a go yep. if it doesn't work let's stop it the classic example was painting the squash court oh yeah 
Oh, that was great. <laughs> yeah. Can't touch this squash court. You know, let's let's paint it and change the colour of the balls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the horrific nature of that, just to go through that process. Anyway, we did it. Yeah. I mean, introducing CrossFit. Yeah. You know that, which, yeah, ultimately. Well, again, we, we were getting to a point where we were carrying 55 classes a week at Hawkesbury with all the boot camps and yoga and cycle and um, CrossFit and, um, you know, body pump and all this kind of stuff, which ended up being, um, you know, do you remember a time or the month around when you said, okay, I'm, this, I'm, not, I'm probably going to leave here? Um, or you could see the writing on the wall because that's just after you had left was that I was pulled into a, a meeting and you know what are you doing carrying 55 classes you yeah we're going to reduce the budget so you need to get your classes down you need to you know how many students do CrossFit well none well what are you doing did you get a sense that all of that was coming yeah um well it probably wasn't necessarily I thought the gym would oh well okay the uni always wanted to offsell every component of it mm. and I what I was fighting was to retain it as is mm. so the writing was on the wall probably before before I took over the gyms I knew in a sense the knew the plans from that stage although it wasn't said to me winding it all up winding it all up you could just tell so mm. everything i presented i ultimately probably made a rod for my own back of getting and getting those consultants in to do food and what that offer was it was in a sense never approved but i went ahead with it changing the aspect of the what services were applying in the gyms was never approved i mean you had to go through an approval process for example to do crossfit classes you know mm. okay john had <coughs> got his level one coaching and we applied for the affiliate and we we're going to pay the affiliate fee then they'd come back and said you're a university or an institution so you get the affiliate fee for free fantastic that removed one bit of angst out of the way yeah. of all those type of things um i remember getting the equipment was horrific oh trying to get approval for that yes and all the approval come after we got it anyway yeah <laughs> so it was just making it work and it wasn't it wasn't underhanded it wasn't undermining it was trying to deliver that service and it was getting it to do again the basis of trying to do the right thing mm. to grow and enhance and capture the opportunity mm. I it, the, I, the it was oh it was a shit time of, of the battles that I was having in the background and in a sense of how I was being set up to get being get rid of that was pretty horrible mm. but it probably all come to a head when I did my knee <laughs> Because the yeah, go through that story. <laughs> the knee. I mean, I I was I, I've never been a, in a sense a gym person. You know, basketball, footy days it was all about that team environment and that competitive nature. Um, 
I, I didn't, I suppose, have the mental discipline to go to a gym and just, you know, lift weights. Lift weights. Mm. It, it's a tough road. Mm. And, you know, I get too distracted. <laughs> you know, wasn't the work ethic or doing it. But then all of a sudden, CrossFit, it, you know, it's great. It's the closest thing you have to that camaraderie yes. team. People are in it for each other. Mm. You know, remove the certain ones that have ego and they're there for themselves. You can never displace that. But yeah. that's the same as any team mm. environment. You get a few that aren't team players. But as a whole, that's what the, the real grab to it was. So yeah, the what were we doing? Um, was it DT? DT, 12, nine and six, oh, yeah, 15, nine and six. Right. <laughs> and so five rounds, busting away, doing it, the very last rep. And this, of a push press? Of a push press, sorry, of a push press. So it was what, the 137th rep? Something like that. So I still owe you one, John, and it's about 18 months old. <laughs> so I'd, the last two rounds, I'd been doing them all singularly, like bringing it, taking it to the floor and then going back up. It was starting to get fatigued, a bit tired, been a big day. And second last one, come down said, ah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going doubling up here. I'm going so last doubling one, I up. want this over with. <laughs> I want this over with. Because by this time, a whole heap of other finish. There was you. There's a, what, five other, six other Cheering people. Cheering you on. <laughs> Come, Come on. on, do it. You know, you can do it. <laughs> what, <laughs> whatever went well after you said fuck it? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing <laughs> from that moment. So then that's when everything started to slow down. So go to the push press. Yep. Got, it, beer. got yeah. it at about three quarters of the way up and lost my balance. Like starting to go over my left hand side thinking, what, what the hell is going on here? So yeah. I've tried to push, push up on my left hand side again yeah. a bit further. And, and it, at this moment, everything's slowed down. I, I feel this... Um, numbness sensation of I've got no feeling in my left leg St start looking at the people's faces in front of me and there's horrified looks horrified scared mouths open and I look down to my left hand leg and I've got my I don't know top part of my leg pointing one way <laughs> uh, bottom part of my leg um, your kneecap was up your thigh, <laughs> Le legitimate, legit. Well, uh, I'll give you the, we'll uh, post it on the podcast. Put the photo up. Put the photo up. <clears throat> so yeah, they chucked the weight, fall down um, um, on the ground, leg bent, kneecap up my thigh. Uh, I think at the time you were there, I thought you were holding my leg for the next hour, but mm. it was just, I had no feeling in my leg, mm. had um, ruptured my patella tendon. I remember just saying that, 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 that <laughs> it's not meant to look like that. And I was just trying to hold your ankle, so just don't move because it, your kneecap is up, is on, you're sitting on top of your thigh. Yeah. Like what the? So 
um, then, um, yeah. That's when we met Aidan Chevelle. Yes. So he was the, the paramedic that come that night. And I think after all my um, drugs and the green whistle, I don't know what I said to him in the ambulance, but thank you for your help that night, Aidan. You, you, you were you're on the green whistle, and as you're getting wheeled out of the Hawkesbury gym on the trolley, you're talking to him about joining CrossFit. <laughs> and send it, you you had actually texted me later his number saying, hey, give him a, give him a call. He's interested in CrossFit. <laughs> Cause, yeah, because he was playing AFL at the time too, I think. Mm. So that's where the connection come along. But I remember Tommy... He wanted to take a photo of my knee because he was more interested in <laughs> what it looked like and yep. what the ramifications from my feet were going to be afterwards. I think <laughs> he was looking at it, a potential client. Yeah. So how did how do you think that was a the nail in the coffin for you at work? Oh, only because then I, I couldn't go go to work. So you know it was operation the next day. Yeah. Uh, now leg was going to be in a couldn't move for the next eight weeks eight to 12 weeks it was going to be mm. there was a whole heap of stuff happening at work at that time so yeah that was it was pretty full-on wasn't it it was very full-on <clears throat> so my immediate and i was doing a heap of i started to do a heap of work that was due at home on the computer and then got rang up one day and said um uh, there's a bit of a backstory to it that I wasn't to do this, that, and I was on restricted duties anyway. But then I got an email saying you aren't to contact, and because I'd been talking to people in the office and working can, from home, yeah. working yeah. from home, and then I got an email saying you're not to contact, and no one will speak to you from the office. All your work's got to cease because you're off on sick leave. So it was. A, the writing was on the wall, so then ultimately, um, I was thinking about leaving anyway. Because you could see the the middle management, um, and so the upper, so senior executives and middle management, I could see they were on their way out. Mm. You could see that they were down, starting to downsize everything. Yeah. And I was, in a sense, an antagonist, I suppose, to what they wanted to do because I was fighting because I didn't, I you know, had ultimate belief in what you guys, or what we were doing at the gym, mm. not you guys, but, you know, it was a real... We're trying to close these businesses down and you're trying to get CrossFit up and going. Yes. Yeah. So that was really the point yeah. of antagonism. So then, yeah, got a, got called into a meeting. I... Well, that was that was at the start of June, mid about the, I think yeah. it was eleventh, twelfth of June. Yeah, it was late. about June. Yeah, and I got called into then a meeting in July. Um, I remember going into a Paramount office, HR head dudes are there. I was on my crutches. I didn't even think I should have driven, but I did drive in that day. But anyway, um, yeah, it was a you know. A discussion and it was around a give a give me a reason why we should keep you and I went silent I said I haven't got one what are you gonna do for me basically mm. I mean that was the conversation I was a, I didn't want to have the battle yeah and what you're talking to me in that is just 
but it, like it's not for me to give you that reason if yeah. you can't see the benefit of what I'm trying to do yeah. to this business for the people, <clears throat> yeah. not necessarily for the university. So yeah, that was the parting of the ways. Yeah, because it was never about making money, the businesses. It was because they were an essential service to the university. Um, so it wasn't as if they were trying to say, hey, you've got to make five million a year and you know you need to drive profits and because it was it wasn't about that. It was about trying to just provide a, a quality caring service, but they were trying to wind things up. Yes. Yeah. And I mean the <clears throat> funding that it used to get and we were breaking even to making some money and yes there's outlets, but it wasn't a money making exercise. Mm. It, it it wasn't for profit mm. it's a non-for-profit organization so every cent that you could make out of it you wanted to put back into equipment whereas there was different views on what it should be there for mm. and it was really around the, you know service standards and what service meant yeah. you know the mouth of the university saying we're there for the students and that's all we care about mm. bullshit yeah it, the 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 philosophy of that <clears throat> didn't survive for that. So, yeah, that that was the writing on the wall. Mm. What did you do after that? How did you feel? You had a couple of months where you were. Yeah. Um, oh, again, I was sad. It was how it ended. Mm. You know, I wasn't allowed to, or wasn't supposedly allowed to. At the gym. At the gym. Uh, it was, yeah, that was difficult. I couldn't move. Mm. I mean, remember that day that you and John come and picked me up and took me down to a meeting. That was one of the points that, that I don't know how that got back to the office, but someone had said, and, you know, I wasn't allowed to that and ask anybody to come and take me. Wow. So, yeah, it was all that back-end stuff. Mm. I am... Um, yeah, it was two months, and I think we caught up for coffee mm -hmm. and said, why aren't we doing this ourselves? <laughs> was yeah, I think, <clears throat> and then how that came about was in that two months where you were dealing directly with senior executives and the board, I was then exposed to that, and then I was being told information that I could see the writing on the wall that there's no future for not only look i could have stayed there for another 18 months which all we i would have been made redundant anyway which yeah. was november last year of december last year and all the staff were um but i could see the writing on the wall that you know i could have sat there and just put my feet up on the desk and just mm. took the money for the next 18 months but i i wanted to continue what growing trying to grow something that was all I was always trying to do. Yeah, it was an interesting, it was a really interesting development of that. I, not that I shielded all that noise that mm. you then got exposed to. It was just unnecessary stuff that you had to share. Mm. That's all. Knew that, but, you know, whether it was protection, I don't, I don't see it as protection, but it was only ever going to turn out negative and get in the way of what we're trying to what we wanted 
Hawkesbury Gym to be. You remember the conversations we have had around being the centre of excellence, you know, with the with the high school coming in across the road of mm. how we could, you know, be an education centre, having CrossFit games out. It was a per- on the tennis court. <laughs> on the tennis court and, and how where can we put a swimming pool? pool yeah. You know, it was about creating that as mm. a as a centre of excellence and what that meant and all those type of things. So yeah, um, and and all the things that I've now said about you know opening your own business and customer service and that time that I was injured, thinking, oh, here's an opportunity mm. to start something yourself. Yeah. And so doing it yourself really come after the injury and after I was in a, in in essence sacked from the uni. So yeah, that's then in how Aridi was born. Mm. Yeah. And then that was, uh, <clears throat> I think it just needed myself to be able to come to terms with that there's no future at the, at the uni for where I wanted to take things. And so then, yeah, we, we decided on, originally it was going to be Western Health and Performance or, or CrossFit WHP or CrossFit Western Health and Performance. And then CrossFit said no to that name. And then, because you've got a Greek background, yeah. so your family's Greek. And so we started to look at Latin and Greek um, words and that around the word excellence, because that's what we were trying to achieve at the, the uni gyms. And we, we, we came across the word aridi, which meant excellence of any kind and, you know, living up to one's full potential. And then Aridi was born. And Aridi was born. And, mm. you know, when we were sitting around in the gym and um, looking at the rig and saw the A on it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, all, it all, in a sense, was a bit, bit of fate all coming together. Yeah. So all that stuff that happened didn't really matter anymore. Mm. And that, the sense of then, you know, what we opened in the last week of September. Yeah. I mean, it all come about in what, six weeks? Yes. Really? Yeah. To do what we did and have today, with the, if, if the uni had done that, they'd still be trying to plan it. Yes. <laughs> to oh, give everyone an idea of just the, the process and the, the, you know, how the wheels turn so slowly in, a, in the university, in a corporate environment. Oh, the, and doubling up as an institution. Yep. And what you've got to go through as a process. And I, I suppose oh, MindBody, the new software that we just put into Aridi, by the way, has got voted the number one mm. fitness and health software in the world. Um, should put that in the uh, Western Sydney University IT yes. <laughs> notes. But yeah, that process in itself took months and months and months and months and months and still would be going. Mm. Yeah, whereas we've, you know, it's been tough to implement it for ourselves, but we've, you know, it was what, two weeks? Yeah. Able to install it. So, I mean, fast forward to today, we have um, the brand Aridi, Aridi CrossFit, Aridi Nutrition, now Aridi Care. Um, How's the last 18 months, two years been for you with Aridi and how do you, 
um, see the involvement of it? Evolving. It's, you know, and now coming up, say, with a reedy life, mm. it's still evolving. Yeah. You know, look at this, for example. Even if, oh, if corona didn't happen, we didn't have that time to think, it's, it's born this place. And I, I think that's how we'll continue to evolve. It's so much more than CrossFit. There's a, there's a multi, multiple opportunities what Aridi will be. I think CrossFit as an element will always be there because it's, you have this attachment to it and what it means and, and that's really what we're born from. Mm. But it's a whole bigger yep. life picture. And that physical training is such a huge um, part of our, all of our lives. Yes. And so just when you spoke about a ready life, do you want to explain what that is? <laughs> and like, so our company name was Western Health and Performance. Yes. And as we have evolved and now looking at the, the brand of Aridi and how Aridi now is the trunk of the tree and it is the life. Um, and then the branches are CrossFit, nutrition, care, looking for um, physical training, mental health and nutrition, our you know, well-being through food. Um, so we've looked into the, the company name, changing it to Aridi Life. Yes, mm. you've just described yeah, it. <laughs> you don't need. I don't need to repeat that. But but that's but, been a really like we've spoken about this for months now. Yes, and that's been we've had some great conversations about where we want to take that. It's really the journey mm. and the spiritual journey and of what a reedy is and and yeah the physical side as as important as it is, is still only one element. And we all all embrace that. And yes. every member, thank you from, you know, the bottom of my soul for participating and being part of our journey. But all of that has come out of that, you know, you know, with Shay with nutrition, it comes out of a conversation <clears throat> of what that means, the drive to be excellent at, at anything. Now you're development of a ready care and what that means I suppose with every one of those elements and that's where the name is born from what is it it's all part of our life mm. and there's so many more elements to come yep and you know one of the words that we've used a lot is pathways they're all in and each of us as an individual has our own pathway and what we would like to be is offering that pathway to a lot of other people. Yep. Your journey with us will be, in some cases, forever. <laughs> the attachment, the attachment is forever. Um, it will be short-term, long-term, and everything in between. Mm. So what we want to do is really embrace that. Yep. And grow that. Yeah, it's... For me, this is the first time in my life where I feel um, I'm in the right place. Yeah. Do you feel that? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just right. Like mm. I've used that expression a couple of times from every job I had and, you know, going back to, to this, 
first time in what 40 years it's the right everything's aligning yes and it's right yes at peace with what it is it doesn't mean it's going to be easy Mm. it's still going to be tough we've still got lots of confronting issues from a financial point of view and how we sustain it and can we survive and all those sort of things but it's the right thing to do yes that was my next question in the last we're starting a ready what's been the most difficult challenge to overcome in your eyes confidence in myself that we're doing the right thing mm. breaking that barrier down and not being impacted by all the other noise mm. and that's a good one and, i wasn't expecting that and destructive behaviors internally on that biggest challenge mm. doesn't matter about finances you know my motto uh, lately, what have, you got well, to lose? what have we got to lose? What have we got to lose? <clears throat> yes. Nothing. Mm. You know? Is there anything you'd change or do differently from when we first started? Oh, I, I, I know because that's what we did. Yep. If someone wanted to sit down and they were doing the business, I could give them, I could give them advice. I could give you guidance, but it still comes down to you as an individual's choice. I, I doing it sooner. Yes, would be one thing I'd do. Yep. Uh, making a couple of decisions and going with that decision, not tomorrow but today. Doing it immediately. Yes. Yeah. I. Yes. It. Yeah. When you go back and and you start because that's when you start to think about regret and you start to think about i wish i had have done that but every decision you make in life or or in business and definitely what we've made it's always come from a place of best intentions yes and so whenever you're and you know one of the things that you've always instilled in us is you know as long as you're coming from a place of best intentions it, everything will be okay. Yeah. Mm. Does it doesn't stop the hurt? Doesn't stop the pain. But it, it's it's the bottom out place, and you've got nothing to lose mm. in that web, I suppose. So, yeah, not not regret it because each day has been a learning experience and mm. still is. Yeah. Each minute of every day is a learning experience. Mm. Do you enjoy? this more because you have more human contact in a more valuable way rather than doing supply chain positions um i've always worked on what makes things work and uh, i mean the most amazing thing is a human <laughs> what yeah. goes into making someone work that's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated, it's complex, but there's some simple things of how we're wired. Yes. It gets down to that contact. We as a human being need contact, need genuine, need love, need care, but it's probably getting also in contact with your own spirit and what 
what spiritual contact you have mm. and the energy that you give out yeah and yeah i do i enjoy it more than supply chain absolutely yeah <laughs> it's just me- that was a short answer <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah but yeah you can't uh, that's what you did but understanding something mechanically in a pro and admiring a process and making it efficient mm. yeah i think one of your one of your best qualities is you you understand and are very good at the commercial side of um you know the financials and the accounting side of things and how systems work and how to drive that but you also have the emotional intelligence to um you know you have empathy and you have the care so when you put the two together um you know the the development of a ready and the positions you've had that you know they're it's the best of both worlds yeah i think it's a good balance yes uh, you hide behind the the process a lot of times in most things you'll blame the process but what it ultimately comes back to is the individual have you got the desire and drive to do it mm. or is it an excuse why you don't do it yeah there's always a reason why you can't do something but mm. you've got to remove those and say what can i do yeah and we have that example every day yeah yeah you as we grow and develop already you're where are you currently working i'm currently back to high street penrith running a footwear store gone full circle <laughs> gone full circle one point health in in penrith so if you want any shoes or podiatrist approved shoes come and see me mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah I, I, I that that's probably now the mechanical side there's not an emotional attachment to it but uh, one of my skills I, you could you can more or less walk into any business on any given day and within an hour you know how it operates yes and you know the keys to success and driving it the issue becomes egos and people's mentality to probably two things to say that I am not doing it the right way and the ability to listen I'm not saying my right my way is right but it it's how people are willing to listen to what you're saying yes yeah and that's been in every single business I've ever been in the difference now that I can apply that to our own yes which has the most power it has the most power yeah there's no hiding mm. yeah the buck stops with you absolutely mm. total responsibility mm. can't dish that off to anybody else yeah um are you looking forward to us reopening absolutely <laughs> Uh, it's a funny thing someone said to me that I, I wish the coronavirus and the restrictions would keep happening only but i said that earlier only being that it makes you look at yourself and what do you really want yeah i mean there's a lot of people out there that hasn't affected at all gone about their normal life but it really proves what's um what's important to you mm yeah i can't wait to be around people i the yeah. the 
contact that you have with everybody on social media, whether it's by text or you know, Instagram, Facebook, it takes so long. Mm. Yeah. And things get, you can just, the you've got no body language. So in the context of some messages that come back is, oh, did they mean that? Do they, or did they really mean that? <laughs> Creates more angst. And it, yeah, angst. yeah. Because you've got to not, and it takes away one of my key skills and it's been able to listen. A lot of people reckon I don't listen, but I do mm. intently listen to every word that everybody says. And that also, because it, it formulates your response. Yes. And getting a text message or something like that takes that connection away. Yes. And it's such an important connection. Yep. Because yep. you can just look at someone and there's an immediate contact, feeling, emotion mm. that that is created. Yep. Mm. And that's, that's the power behind what I think we have at Aridi. Yeah, definitely. It is just having the relationships that we have and the connections that we have with with um, people and how everyone's connected and if they've never known each other before they become connected at a ready through different pathways that we have and there's there's a joy that brings that comes with that mm. Mm. i mean you look at our connection where we first come across each other mm. wasn't at the union it was in payless shoes in the warehouse when you're driving yeah. and delivering shoes talk about a logistics background yeah you're driving a truck yeah yeah i used so, to sign off the invoices for yeah that. so we didn't we didn't know that until we worked at the uni so my for those that don't know my best mate at the time worked in the where he was the warehouse manager yeah or he called himself so the warehouse manager but, thank but, you Stephen. yeah Stephen hartley <laughs> absolute champion <laughs> bloke and so I had started my own um, little, I bought a Pantech truck and so, so his nickname was Slick. So Slick said to me, look, if you got a truck, I, I could use the, the train, like I could use you. Anyway, so beautiful, went and got a truck because I was in the cops at the time. I needed a second job. So I went and uh, started Gibson Logistics. So I was gonna take over Toll and Star Trek Express. <laughs> And so it was me and my little Pantech truck. And yeah, my days off from the cops, I'd drive a truck around Sydney delivering. What run I, did you do at that time? So my first drop used to be um, in King Street in the city. Yeah. And then I'd eat, and then he'd either, he would look after me. No, he didn't if he was giving you King Street. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> well, I always used to think, well, what I meant was he used to look after me. I'd start in King Street and then he said, look, I'll make that your first drop because the traffic's not going to be horrendous well, in the it was afternoon. Nice of it. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I never really had too much of an issue. If I went there, that was my last drop. That was horrendous. Yeah. But then I'd either go north or south. So I'd either then go up to Manly Warringah and out to Chatswood and um, was it Hornsby? I don't think I went up to Hornsby. Chatswood, then back through... Um, back out towards Silverwater, or I'd go down south to um, Cronulla Way and, you know, back out to Bankstown. And so I'd either go, I'd go to the city and then split so, either way. 
And it, some days were four hours, some days were 12 hours. Was, yeah, so then we'd realised, so you were the, you know, the national manager and working out of, you were working at Payless Shoes and you were signing off on my invoices. <laughs> yeah. It's a small world, isn't small it? Small world. Mm. Where those connections and then, you know, knowing Stephen, Peter Curran and yeah. all those connections. As I remember, you know, talking to Stephen about footy and trying out for South and, yep. you know, little alone did I know that I'd run into you. Yeah, so that's how, so Steve and I played at South yeah. together and I would come, you know, I'd come and pick him up and we'd go off to training. Yeah. You know, so yeah, pretty small world. Absolutely. Yeah. And the odd game of cricket in the warehouse. Yes, <laughs> yes. And those toilets there were horrific. <laughs> they were. How you lived with yourself, live, allowing that to happen. Under, they were underneath and there was no airflow. <laughs> always. <laughs> I used to avoid those yeah. going down the warehouse. Yes. Um, whereabouts have you travelled? You, you had a trip to the US? Yeah. Oh, that was a trip of a lifetime. Six weeks in doing skiing throughout the Americas, you know, all the Rockies and up to Canada and, um, yeah, all through Colorado. Wow. Yeah. Um, I've done a fair bit of travel with work, again, back to the States, many a footwear conference in Vegas and been, you know, through Hong Kong and, yeah, a fair bit of Asia. Um, yeah had been through europe once uh yeah four weeks there played golf at st andrews oh what was that like uh, just um, like playing golf at, a... at st andrews like you're at the home of golf if mm. you don't uh, you know just take that in again being a bit lucky where you hadn't booked in and it, 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 back then you had to go into a ballot to get but anyway we picked this bed and breakfast um so the owner of the bed and breakfast knew someone on the ballot committee so we've rocked up at their place and we're playing st andrews seven o'clock the next morning <laughs> mr cool walks in We've got to get this bloke on st andrews but the issue was um it was a taken golf stick bloody airline had lost lost my um Oh, really? Lost my golf sticks on the way over. But anyway, they ended up turning up. I got them then. They rang me that night, said we've found them. So they've couriered them to St Andrews and they were waiting for me the next morning. Had the round of my life. Hit 74, two over, off the stick. Jesus. Around St Andrews. I never knew you were that good. <laughs> I wasn't. I'm not. <laughs> Just... Uh, you know, we had caddies and it just, everything worked, every putt fell in. Yep. Um, Were you playing for money? No, playing, with a, playing with a best mate, that we, Brian, that we went on, but he was nervous, nervous as all hell. Shot 108. Oh, 108 <laughs> on the first nine. I think he had about a thousand that day. Yeah. But it just, it was a surreal day. It's quite funny, on the 18th hole, um, a best up with Elaine taking a video and you can see us walking up. I drive, chip up and I've got this 20 foot downhill right to left putt for a birdie to shoot 74. And as I've hit the putt, I don't know, 
Beth gone off and on the video has gone to some seagull or something. You're joking. <laughs> Missed the putt of the life. She had one job. <laughs> one job. <laughs> Failed. But so thanks for that. So she hasn't lived that one down. So yeah, did, you know, Ireland, bit of England, but, you know, drove through all of uh, France, Italy. Yeah, been through there. Do you have a favourite destination? Not really. Mm. Just, I, I think they like there's so much. The history throughout Europe is what's phenomenal. Um, um, yeah, the age of the place. And then you go back to think, you know, what's been destroyed in wars and mm. that, that type of thing. So, yeah, it's an experience of every, every journey. Mm. Love Las Vegas for what it is. It's the epitome of everything bad about America, but yeah. on the other hand, it's so great. Is it everything that everyone thinks it is? Grand and out of control? It's, and it's horrible. It's it, gaudy. Yeah. It's false. It's, yeah. you know, or that going back to when I'm back when I went with the mates I think you know we were there for four days and we didn't or we ended some of the places we ended up it was just yeah mm. I you've got to appreciate what it is but I I wouldn't say it's magnificent yeah yeah it's all fake like you said it's just it's it is what it is and you go there knowing that yes yeah. as long as you go there without <clears throat> not expecting anything yeah but you know, uh, I, I, one of the best experiences I've had in Las Vegas was flying out in a helicopter to the Grand Canyon, you know, and doing the, the old low flights. You at that stage you could still get into the Grand Canyon at, at with a helicopter, whereas you can't anymore. But yeah, just experiences like that. Yeah. Speaking of, this is sorry off going off on a tangent speaking of helicopters and basketball and what was your thoughts on Kobe Bryant yeah it's just a, a great example of decisions and appreciate every moment because mm. you just don't know mm. yeah. you know what made him get into a helicopter with fog and you know yeah to, yeah horrific I, it's just but that's the nature of life isn't it did was he any comparison to Jordan? No. Yeah. I don't think anybody is a comparison to Jordan. Mm. Just, I suppose, living in that time and knowing what basketball was, but you look at him as a phenomena, it's not about the money, but he transcended the world. Mm. Like, there wasn't a basketball shoe in existence. Yes. It more or less was the converse Chuck Taylors. Yeah. And the Asics nice shot. Well, they contribute to basketball. I think they say in the documentary that, you know, Michael Jordan, or prior to Michael Jordan, it was in 80 countries. Yeah. Post Michael Jordan, it was in, you know, 100, uh, 200, if, something, whatever. 220, I think they said, or whatever the number was. Yeah. But th not only that, but uh, what I what I really took out of this show was the absolute energy that he took to play mm. and the difference in him. He never had a bad game. Oh, he did. But yeah. it was 110% at every game. Yeah. 
Yes. So speaking to people that have watched it that don't know anything about basketball, I, I had an idea of so that they play every few days. Yeah. And so there were people saying like, I, I thought when they went 62 and 20, like that's in one season. I thought that was over three years. <laughs> it was like the energy that they must have to muster up and to be the 1% of the 1% for so long and play that often, well, what that makes you. 90 games in a season. In a season. And how long is a season? Uh, it, like now it runs, say, October to February. Five months. Mm. Yeah, that's a six, lot of games, isn't it? Six months at max. What, 26 weeks? So you're playing at least three games a week at that level and you talk you know you're talking huge guys it's a lot a lot of muscle to move isn't it yes the wear and tear on your body i know what my knees feel like yeah how is your knee now <laughs> oh knees yeah good oh that's a lie it it works <laughs> i can i can walk bit of pain I, yeah. it's when i have probably a replacement flick. okay Mobility's um, fair, but it's good. Yep, cool. Um, do you have any fears or phobias? Snakes. Yeah, okay. Don't move the cunt. Do you have, have you ever come across one at home? Oh, too many. What? Oh, really? Um, that's probably where my fear in our um, younger days, my first fear started, we used to muck around doing tun tunneling and we used to build sort of half caves. It was river sand, red river sand, mm. put iron sheeting on over and, you know, if we ever found a, say, a drainage ditch or whatever, we'd dig around and make a couple of tunnels. Remember, we had this one spot one day and it half collapsed and we'd made a sort of a bit of a bed when I rolled down into this pit and there was a snake sitting there, like it was winter because it didn't move, but scared the shit out of me. Yeah. A couple of other times, Dad, Dad come along and was picking me up to go to the cannery to take some fruit up to the cannery, and I'd come running out of the front door. I didn't have any shoes on, stepped onto the front veranda and stepped straight onto a big brown snake. Jesus, that's sort of. my worst night. <laughs> so remember dad chasing the snake down, come back and chopped its head off with a shovel. And then oh, a couple other times, um, walking through bush, thought a stick was on my jeans one day and went to, you know, pick it off. But it was a snake that had latched on. Had latched on to the back Christ. of it. So yeah. Snakes are not my best friends. Other than that, not really any others. That's horrific. Like I, I actually have, because <laughs> that's my, that and flying for me, they're the two worst, but the snakes is, um, I think about it all the time. <laughs> yes, never be, always a snake around the corner. Do, yeah, do you see them at home? Where oh, no. Now? Not from the golf course? or No, yeah. haven't yet. Yep. But you've, that, done, you've done some work under the house that, lately. That, so that's always my fear. <laughs> like, yeah. um, 
plumbing issues because yeah i'm walking in there yeah or crawling through underneath the house and there's a snake <laughs> you'd hear a scream from here yeah yeah snakes are yeah they're horrific yeah are terrible if you could go back in time to young richard 20 what advice would you give that that person that you know today just be you mm. and be passionate about you um not in an arrogant way but just believe in yourself and that really applies to anybody mm. yep perfect i think that's one thing that a lot of people um they try and be someone that they're not yeah or they do stuff because others they do stuff because other think other people think they should or they do things or don't do things based on other people's opinions and so when you say just be you it is you know follow your own path and not listen to judgment of others and yeah feel you and be you i i think we all have an element of lying to each other and be some try and be something that we're not yes whether it's flaws or failures or everything just be you and accept that mm. I don't think I've probably accepted myself and who I am ever. Probably this period of time is still, uh, uh, you know, closest thing is here today. Yeah. It's also taken me 50 odd years to get there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you just got to be patient with your own life, don't you? Mm. Yeah. And there's no, per there's no rule book. There's no perfect playbook. No. As long as you have the best intentions how many how many of us try and plot and use the playbook of someone else mm. that the issue is you have no playbook mm. it's like raising a child <clears throat> there is no playbook yeah got to respond to what they are yeah all the new mums and dads at a radio yeah to find that out <laughs> absolutely the conversations i'm having and i can imagine the arguments about what you should do what you shouldn't do how you should how, what they just probably look at your child yeah feel what they are and embrace them yeah good advice I just love them for yep. what they are um we might wrap up in a sec but where do you get your motivation your inspiration from do you do you read books podcasts do you follow anyone i know we've just said don't follow anyone but do you uh, do you get inspiration from anywhere else yeah just i i suppose life mm -hmm. looking at people the, the learnings of what do's and don'ts do um I suppose not anything in particular, but all of it. Yeah. Um, you know, have you found a fair bit of like a, a piece in yoga? Yeah. yeah. I, I that sense of self is one of the I think a, a bit of a thing. Um, when you're in that moment of self, and you can remove any thoughts out of out of your mind mm. what what are you with i suppose you with your spirit mm. 
And that that very moment, you have the most opportunity in ever. And the more you can get yourself back to that place, I think, is that's where the inspiration comes from. Mm. I like it. So, yeah, podcasts. Do you listen to any podcasts? Oh, Joe Rogan. Yeah, we're speaking about Joe Rogan, Rogan. a fair bit. Yeah, I still go back and listen to Ben Bergeron. Yeah. I mean, there's that much information out there. Mm. Um, it's a great time to be alive oh. with information and the internet. I mean, we've both experienced life pre-internet and post-internet. And there's a lot of people that wouldn't survive the latest pandemic without <laughs> the internet, whereas... Yeah, it's a great, it, it has changed our lives. Oh. And probably one of the greatest human inventions that we've had. So, yeah, what I, so today we sit here, there'll be something that comes along. So, imagine what will it be in 20 years' time? Mm. Yeah, I remember driving, and you know, I was saying earlier that I used to do all over country Victoria and I used to drive out to country New South Wales is to sit in the car for five, six hours. No phone. <laughs> yeah. No, you're lucky to get a pick up a radio station. You couldn't... Trying, trying to get some static from an AM, AM radio station. And most of the time it was ABC. So you did... So what did you do with that time? Yeah. It was, it was interesting. But yeah, it's a great time to be alive. Mm. Well, perfect segue to probably... Wrap it up just for now. I, I think I think we've spoken about um, doing a regular, whether it's weekly or fortnightly podcast of just talking about um, different issues in life and challenges and how we can, you know, deal with those and talking about our current affairs. So, you know, I think we should start that very soon. Let's yeah, absolutely. Anybody out there that's got any questions, yep. send them through or topics you want these two old brains to talk about. So send them through. We we had a meeting with John and Shay recently where we spoke about a few things and 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 I mentioned that you and I compared to them to have fifty years <laughs> combined more life and work or actually just work experience. Like the, not that we were just talking about. Like it just sort of blew my mind. It was sitting there, and you know the the generations that we have, and you know the team that we have, and the dynamics. Like we're blessed to have the you know the energy, enthusiasm from the four of us, and the the um, but the life experience and the work experience that. Anything is possible. Yes, anything. I mean, it's like, you know, Shay's 25th birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Shay. Happy birthday, Shay. Like, I'm older than Shay and John put together. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah. you know, you combine our age, we, we, it would be 100. Yeah. So Shay could live her whole <laughs> life again and still not be as old as you. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that alone is... I, and the onus comes on, well, a couple of things to it is, does anybody want to listen about it? But but what you have the ability to share. Yes. The key is, is someone's 
willing to listen, but, you know, we don't share our stories enough. Mm. That's, you know, that the, the issue with, I, I, I suppose that's, uh, actually it's not an issue, that's where podcasts and today's environment, they're all stories. Correct. But we as individuals actually don't sit around and share those stories enough. Yes. Whereas you can look, look within and look for someone close to you sometimes because the more you can share the story with that person, the greater impact it's going to have. Yes, true. Have you actually have you seen the latest um, Joe Rogan podcast with Kevin Hart? No. So, ah, oh, whatever you're doing this week, you can cancel the plans. And <laughs> so go to YouTube, soon to be Spotify, but go to YouTube now. Um, episode fourteen eighty, Joe Rogan and Kevin Hart, and he talks about I'm Kevin Hart being I'm at an age now where I have lived and I have experienced certain things. What I am giving you our stories about my life which is information what you choose to do with that information is up to you but this is information which is education of if you do this this could happen if you do that that could happen i don't whatever you do with that but i am i am now feel responsible of giving information and education on life for if you want to listen to those stories you have I have something to offer you. Let's hit him up for a reading life because that's what we're talking about. Get him on the podcast. Get him on the podcast. Yeah, and I mean, that's what, you know, we, we, we've always had these discussions. So it talking about the internet, it would be great to be able to have those discussions on a podcast and, and do it quite regularly. And, um, I mean, yeah, the uh, probably our working life, we've probably got 60 or 70 years worth of, stories and information that we can give out so who knows who knows um so every podcast i do a couple of rapid fires what's your favorite takeaway meal leftover roast lamb leftover oh yeah i'm not a leftover person yeah oh yeah i know that because but cold roast lamb the day after put on a bit of bread with a bit of butter it's not a takeaway but you can take it anywhere. Perfect. Love it. What's your all-time favourite movie? Haven't got one. It's it's by genre. It's by stage of your life. I don't think you lose any of it, but there's some fantastic... Like, I love movies for being what they are. Yeah. And, you know, I... Can you name one or two or three I'm a bit of... resonate a lot? Ah, oh, yeah, Green Mile mm. is a great movie. Classic. That, going back to The Sting, The Greatest Escape, yep. um, Pulp Fiction when it first, I'm a bit of a, I, latest lot would be anything Quentin Tarantino, going back till dusk to just weird movies. Yeah. The Django. I love those <laughs> movies. I love Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I probably have a, have an affliction but for medieval and westerns like mm. you know anything with a night movie bit of robin hood stuff were you in the game of thrones yeah yeah just yeah it now it's like it's um and the best movie of all is life <laughs> yeah you don't 
like you can't make that shit up sometimes. No, you? like you, Tiger King, <laughs> just can't make that shit. That up. is unbelievable. Yeah. So it, it's a very. That's why. Um, sorry to cut you off. That that's why uh, reality TV is so real. Everyone is just so drawn into it, and they love it, and it rates because it is watching life <laughs> and watching people either live in a way that we aspire to or live in a way that we are thank God we're not that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, of growing up and not having, say, TV, mm. like, it, I mean, I, it was the 70s when we first got a TV and our first, commer- we used to have TV on from 6.30 at night to 9 o'clock. That was the commercial station's broadcast. That was it. So welcome to television. <laughs> welcome to television. <laughs> now you've got two hundred and sixty <laughs> channels, twenty four seven. Anything you want. What a time to be alive! If you had any superpower or um, talent, what what would you have? Uh, to heal. Just to heal people and give them the ability. To expose their passion. Perfect. Down to your last $20 and then it's all over. How would you spend it? I'd make a big bowl of Greek lemon soup. A bottle of ouzo, although we couldn't do it for 20 bucks. <laughs> or you could, you get some pretty... And just eat and tell stories. Perfect. You and Spanos myself. <laughs> Spanos yourself to death. <laughs> yeah. um, Richard, thank you so much for um, everything that you um, have done, currently do, and that we will continue to do. Um, a lot of people don't know the, you know, the consistent and relentless effort that you give behind the scenes and, you know, John and Shay coaching the classes, but, you know, the work that goes on to, you know, creating, sustaining and building um, Aridi life and, and now every branch off the Aridi tree. Um, thank you for everything that you do. I hope today has given um, people a little bit more insight into who you are and where, where you've come from and um, I look forward to the years ahead of what we can achieve and... Um, Let's see what we can build. So thank you. Absolute pleasure. All right. All right. Goodbye. Well, um, see you later. We'll um, catch you on the next podcast. <laughs> see you soon. Bye.